So, you know, there's staple books. So, like, the Sefer Yetzirah is the book of formation, and the Zohar will, um, like, reference the Ba here, and uh, it's a, that's, an, you know, there's these main tenant books, and, uh, you know, the, the like I'm saying, like, a lot of the commentary is, will be referenced by secret, non-so-secret societies, whether it's the Golden Dawn or the OTO or Freemasonry, uh, but, you know, it's not readily available for the public at large to, like, look at what's actually said uh, in in those pla- in those in those texts, you know. So uh, like the the commentary on the uh, the prophecy, it's it, it gets there's like certain things that are mathematical. And w- what I found was is uh, when it's saying to do certain things, if you use the Ari system or other more traditional systems in in regard to the attributions or correspondences of the Kabbalistic tree, it doesn't work. Uh, to the same degree in the same way as when you use the the later um, associations. So, like, you know, uh, the way that the arc, the 22 arcana, which correspond to the 22 Hebrew letters, um, t- and the 22 uh, main cards of the tarot deck, the trump cards. So if you're applying the pathways of the Kabbalistic tree, like, it'll say to do something. Like, it'll be like, add up the uh, diagonal pathways, which there are 12, and you'll see what the implications are, this whole thing that it's explaining. And so, like, you know, uh, instead of applying the other system, you know, that, that normally uh, would be used, like a rabbi would be the go-to, I used the Golden Dawn system and, you know, what, like, uh, Paul Foster Case would have used. And, uh, like, when I added up, like, with that particular thing, when I added up the numbers, you know, I got 865, which I couldn't find anything significant for. But it's really obvious when you look at it that uh, if you add three, which would be Gimel, which is the pathway that connects Keter, the crown, to Teferet, the, fe- the center of the tree, the, what, uh, the pathway that's the most direct, because those are dimensions, by the way, so like you have vertical, horizontal, and diagonal. And so you have this vertical line. If you add that, then you get eight, uh, 868, which is the uh, only one thing in Hebrew uh, mysticism, in Hebrew language, that equals that same gematria, uh, you know, because every letter ha- is a number. So it's not like a letter associated. It's like the roots of language. We're actually speaking in math, but we didn't have the same relationship to math. And so it's, it's you know, it's pretty incredible, but we, you know, uh, math meant something different for us. Like Sphero, what the, makes up the Kabbalistic tree, the ten Sphero, actually mean numeration. And it's related to sapphire, but it's the way that things stand out in form. So like the Hebrew word for create is the same word for to divide or to cut apart. And so this idea of for something to split, to stand out in space, is like emphasized in Zohar. Um, so... I see that it so it only equals one word, and it's the, from the first line of the Sefer Yetzirah, where it's the word for the mystical pathways of the Kabbalistic tree. And so I'm like, the probability of that is freaking out of control. Like, there's no, there's no way. So it's like it's it's affirmed, but you can't necessarily prove it. All you can do is acknowledge that the that the probability is just you know out of this world. It's kind of like you know uh, Hal in 2001: Space Odyssey. Like Hal is each one letter removed from IBM. And so the probability for that happening on its own would be six cubed, you know, so it's like extremely unlikely. But then you see like IBM emphasized in the film and there's this kind of thing, you know, so it's like, like you know, I, I once had a conversation with um, one of the writers for uh, The Simpsons. Uh, oddly enough, uh, I like walked into a comic store and there was nobody in there and he was like at a table with like a book signing thing, but like no one showed up and I got to talk to this guy for like over an hour. Um, and, uh, a lot of our discussion was around the use of subliminals. And I wish I had, I, I wish I could have that conversation with him now, but this was like a number of years ago. Uh, but one of the things he was saying, he was talking about the screening process that they go through at Fox. So that basically like, 
you know, if they come up with an episode and they're too revealing or they have too much, the whole episode will get scrapped and they won't even give them access to the episode anymore. And so they have to scramble and start anew, and it's this whole big challenge. And so you're saying every time they produce an episode, they have to figure out how to navigate to reveal as much as possible, but not to do it in such a way that's, like, provable. So, like, if they make an association, they can hint at something, but they can't necessarily just come right out and say it. And if they want to continue to exist to have the opportunity to produce what they're producing, they have to go about it in, in such a way. And so I think it's really, like... You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big subject, but it's the idea of like when you're, when you're relating to, uh, subliminal stuff, you know, people often just immediately go to, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> somebody being like, uh, you know, kind of ill dignified or like, uh, trying to manipulate, uh, in a negative way. And I know that that goes on. I'm not denying that for a second, but I do think that there's, you gotta consider sometimes the position that certain artists are in. You know, uh, when they have the opportunity to have a platform, uh, how they how they can get around kind of like where they can communicate one thing uh, while also giving like a cover. And so I see a lot of uh, musicians and, and, and film film directors that seem to be doing the same kind of thing, you know, where they're like they have one level of meaning and then it's the other level. And it's just kind of like, well, if you just keep doing that, you know, eventually maybe something will break through, you know, because it's like a landslide. There's just so much going on um, that's not necessarily as, as plain to recognize if you're just paying attention to the surface of the thing. And so, um, you know, I, I, I basically I brought up to the Simpsons writer, you know, that I, I was impacted by an episode of uh, Futurama where, where Bender is floating in space and he meets God. And God says, you know, if you do something perfect, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. And it was this whole idea of like everything in perfection, you know, things all in wholeness, things canceling out. So even though, you know, there's, there's a, um, everything is, is directly compensated, you know, it's, it's, um, if, if it's, comp if it's compensated perfectly, it becomes like invisible, if that makes sense. Like you can't see what's, what, what is behind it, the, 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 um, influencing intelligence or whatever you want to call it, you know, the dynamics of the vacuum of the actual nature of the thing. So that's the thing with, with 9-11 is that the, the, it's emphasizing that there's this movement that's, that's taking place that has a certain timeline, uh, but the, the corruption is, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the powers that be are basically like working within these parameters to steer things the way that, they, you know, they would like to see things go, but because they're, they're second to the, what's foundational, you know, they don't, it's hard, there's a giant variable in the mix of it, you know, and so the way that things ultimately play out isn't necessarily the way that it would be assumed if you were just looking at the, at the topical level of the thing, you know. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Uh, yeah, uh, one thing in particular I've noticed about The Simpsons, there's all kinds of clips on YouTube that show these moments during that show where it actually seems to be predicting the future. Have you seen any of that stuff? Oh, sure. Um, there's, there's times where, you know, people will kind of doctor things uh, to make something appear as though it was before, or even though it was after. Uh, that happened recently with that weird globe orb yeah. thing that, like, you know, with Trump and the, um, in Saudi Arabia. But, um, you know, but there are, but there are, like, examples totally of, like, really predictive stuff in The Simpsons. But that, it's, it's all over the place. And that's what, you know, that's what I would argue is, like, it's not just like, I mean, for everything that's happening, whatever, you know, slips out. Like, I would, I, like, I'm of the feeling that, like, uh, Dark Side of the Moon and the Wizard of Oz, like that that's actually like a leak that like that 
is something that's gone on. Like, cause people ask me like, why would they do that? And like, I can't imagine like why they wouldn't do that. If you really like explore like some, some of these correspondences, it's just like, seems like that would be the exact thing to do. And it kind of reconciles a lot of musicians that otherwise, like, I, I guess I could say I, I would tolerate like more poppy stuff, but like I see the archetypes that they're, that they're communicating. And I, I think that they have far more depth than we give them credit. So, like, Lady Gaga would be an example of that. There's many examples, but it's, like, kind of, like, you know, the more superficial that it appears sometimes, the more is that can actually be going on in the midst. And um, there's, there's, you know, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a, you know, like, that was a thing with, like, in the, in the 60s and 50s, you know. It's, like, people wanted to, like, communicate something in a song, you know. It was, like, they, they had to really, like, that was part of the real artistry of the thing. It's, like, how do you say one thing and have it implying something else. It's like the Doors Moonlight Drive is totally about having sex with a woman who's menstruating, you know, or a girl who's menstruating. You know, that's what the Moonlight Drive is. You know, that's why it's like, you know, it ends with like, baby's going to drown tonight. And it's just like, you know, but that was, my point is that that was on the radio, you know, like everyone listened to that. And like, not most people didn't catch what the song was overtly about. And that's an example of many examples. But, you know, that that principle, I think, is, is, the, is the key, you know. And so, you know, the idea in this, in this uh, Zohar text and the commentary is that like, you know, like on the, on the right side of the right hemisphere of the collective's mind, it's like, we all know exactly what we saw in a certain way. Like we know what we saw was impossible, uh, but there, there it is, you know? And so that it's describing like a cognitive dissonance and it's saying that for us to come to terms with what we witnessed at, with that event, you know, or will witness considering the text is like that, that, directly plays into the way that the the consciousness actually develops because it's you know and it's a it's a tragedy obviously um you know and there's there's something that kind of like uh that supersedes it that's you know the there's something else going on that's like it's a it's a it's a tactic to kind of like you know manipulate the masses uh and it works for only a certain period of time and so it has its own repercussions too for the you know <laughs> it 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 ha it it uh it can only hold for so long in other words so you know it, it's the text describes you know the the soldiers coming to terms the people coming to terms with what it was that they that they saw so it takes a while for the left brain to catch up to the right if you see what i'm saying um, yeah, one that's thing, what the two, two pillars represent, you know. One thing that I've always found really interesting, I, I'm into pro wrestling, and there seems to be a lot of this predictive programming in pro wrestling. There was the, the New World Order, the NWO, and there, there was also a time when a fan held up a sign that said, the Twin Towers will fall, referencing a tag team called the Twin Towers, and stuff like that. Right, that's in my yeah. film, actually. Oh, okay, is it? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I have a seven and a half hour film, and it was meant as an homage to uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey's original advertising campaign as the ultimate trip. So, like, a lot of people, you know, in 1968 would show up to the theater and drop acid to watch 2001 because of the way that it was advertised. And so I like the idea of, like, producing a film that was actually, like, you know, because people had to, like, leave the theater, you know. I was like, what if it, you could just, you know, it was just carried you through the full length of what a trip would be. So I figured seven and a half hours was an appropriate length. And, uh, yeah, but in there, yeah, I include all the, in the second half, I have the whole um, predictive stuff in, in wrestling, you know. Uh, uh, it was, what's his name? He had his own show, uh, Conspiracy Theory, uh, Jesse Ventura. And Jesse Ventura is, like, the announcer, you know, announcing the, the Twin Towers. And, you know, Hulk Hogan comes out, and there's this whole... 
You know, it's just ridiculous. It's off the charts. It's like, give me a freaking break, you know. It's like, those two towers are going to come crumbling down tonight on prime time. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> so There's also the, the, yeah. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Sir. So is, is it, is it that it's not so much that these people are putting this stuff in because they know 9-11, for example, is going to happen, but this is actually, it's the universe kind of coming through. Is that how it works? Uh, I would say that the, the kicker is that it's both at the same time. Mm. And so that's the significance of the of the 216 letter name that's derived from Exodus. So the, the text is that. So like 216 is, is uh, 6 times 6 times 6, right? If you add 7 plus 7 plus 7 to 216, you get 237. So there's, a, there's and that's related to Sirius, and Sirius is the middle, middle pillar. And so there's, there's really profound stuff going on that's like, it has to do with like the roots of language. So like, um, you know, Barack is, is, he is Hebrew for lightning, right? So people pointed that out with like Barack Obama. If you add an Aleph, you get Abarak, which is the Hebrew word for the, for the star Sirius. And so Sirius is related to at least in European occultism, but in this text, there's this whole thing about this star and that the whole world sees this star and something's going on with this star. And I'm like, I, I find it really weird and fascinating that like as it stands, if you go to Google Sky and try and look up Sirius, or if you go to Microsoft Telescope or any of those programs, it's literally censored right now. And it's, like, been that way for, like, a couple years. Like, you used to be able to look at the star Sirius, you know, uh, but now it's, like, this big, like, Photoshop blotch that goes over it. It's like, why did Whoa, they do that? And weird. I don't know. I'm not trying to pull out the jump to conclusions for it. I just find it really curious, you know. That sounds more like that NASA fakery that I hear so much about, like, this or that is fake, the moon landing's fake, stuff like that. Right. Like, so, like, I could go on for about Kubrick for fucking ever. I, is it okay for me to say the F word? Am I, is that... Oh, I, oh yeah, the internet's still the Wild West as far as I'm concerned, so say whatever okay. you want. Sometimes I go on to shows and I'm like, oh, don't say that. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> our radio show always record, you know, that I, I participated in for, like, I think four years or something like that. You know, we just speak freely and we got, like, you know, three-hour episodes. It's like, if anybody wants to go through here and try and, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. But, uh, oh, God, now I'm, I'm, I saw Corey Feldman last night, and so I'm a little tired. <laughs> Wait, you saw him in person? Yeah, I saw Corey Feldman perform last night, and so yeah, I uh, like that guy. He's he's kind of a little bit of a, a truth seeker, in my opinion. He's spoken out about some stuff. He has actually. Yeah. Oh, so this is this that actually reminds me. So my thing is like I would never argue like in any authoritative way that we never went to the moon, uh, but I would argue that in all likelihood Occam's razor would say that the ma vast majority of the footage and photographs that we see of us on the moon is, you know, is recorded in a freaking studio with front screen projection like Kubrick used for 2001. And, you know, I'm, I'm with Jay Widener on that whole idea of where you can spot the line. You can see the line where the terrain changes. And so, you know, but I look at it and I'm like, in all likelihood, the way I take it is that it was a safeguard for like whatever it is that they're going to find on the moon. Who knows if they actually found anything of significance, but that there would be some substitute. So they wouldn't, you know, because there's a whole thing. They love secrecy. And that's, that's the main distinction I would make, actually, is with like speaking of like Kabbalah. It's like traditionally there's an emphasis on mystery. Like you don't hear much that you don't read much talk in, in uh, Zohar commentary on like the idea of secrecy. Like that's something that's, that obviously like uh, secret, not so secret societies obviously are all about. Like that's the whole point. They're a secret society. So they like secrets and they play these games where they'll have some, 
So the inner circle group that just like kind of like establishes itself, it's this formula like that goes back to the late, well, it goes back really far, but obviously in the late 1700s with the, um, the book Proofs of the Conspiracy that documents the Illuminati when they, you know, they had to go to court and all this stuff. I probably pronounced it wrong, but Weisenhoff, I think is his name. It's German, re- German reading societies followed that and it's the same thing, but, um, you know, they, basically they got, they got popped. And you can read George Washington's reaction to all that stuff. But there were a group that, like, basically infiltrated Freemasonry in Europe and just said, okay, we're the real inner circle, you know. So oh, the Bavarian say, Illuminati. Yes, the Bavarian Illuminati is exactly what I'm talking about. And so I'm just saying, like, that idea where, like, you'll have a group and then the group will kind of latch on to another group and then take their, you know, people from there that are they consider like-minded and then they'll initiate them. But it's this whole appeal of secrecy is the, is the main thing. And so I don't see that so much in traditional Kabbalah. And, like, I get re- frustrated sometimes when I'm looking at um, when people try and relate to what we see with, like, someone like Aleister Crowley or even, like, John Dee or whatever and then project that onto, like, well, this is what Kabbalah is about. Like, Kabbalah means to receive. It's about receptivity. A cabal is a later term, and there are cabals, no doubt. And there's people that relate to their their relationship to what they call Kabbalah. So, like, the Kabbalah center with Madonna is not anything, there's nothing traditional about it, you know, uh, very little. Uh, and they're, like, a lot about manifestation and wealth and all these things. And it's like, you don't see that in, in the older schools. But hmm. not too many people really study that. You know, if you go to a yeshiva, you know, they make you go through this whole giant process. It takes years before you actually get a look at anything substantial, from my understanding. And so, you know, um, I've been lucky enough to have a teacher that was willing to, to teach me, you know, um, walk walk through the text with me and, and you know, see see what it shows, you know. And he experienced a lot of cognitive dissonance in the process, and he still does, you know. Uh, and I do too. It's just kind of like it comes with the territory. <laughs> like, <laughs> this can't possibly be saying what it's saying. Well, it's saying it. It's like it's really in your face, you know. And so, um, you know, it's it, I, it's it's tough because I wouldn't say it's like uh, as much about rationalization as it is like to acknowledge multiple tiers of something. So it's like you see one level of it, and then you know. So that was the thing I was going to say. The two sixteen letter name is derived from three verses of seventy two letters. And so each one relates to a pillar, in a sense. There's three pillars going horizontal. There's three pillars going vertical in the Kabbalistic tree. And so, you know, if the gematrical value of chesed, uh, the top of the right pillar, is 72, the gematrical value of gevorah is 216. Uh, 72 times 3 is uh, 216, just like 6 times 6 times 6 is 216. But then they have this relationship. So the first uh, of the, the first 72 letter um, you know, what you could call a name that's derived from this text goes uh, right to left. The second section goes left to right. The third goes right to left again. And so the emphasis in uh, Zohar is that you're literally, you're, you're looking at things on one level, and then if you dive deeper into it, what you find is corruption, and that's the reversal. But the corruption is just the manipulation of uh, of the name. So they're like, there is no, like, there's there's... It's still of the source. It's just it's twisted up. So, and this is emphasized as like worshiping another god. So it's like if you if you relate like the two sixteen letter name relating to Gavora um, and six 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 is 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 relating that well this, this is an, another god because the it has to do with the arrangement of the the twenty two arcana as a Vesca Pisces. So it's a little complicated, but it's um, it's actually really complicated. But uh, if you do it normally and you just set up the letters straightforward, you have Aleph on one side and Laman on the other, and that's the abbreviation for Elohim, right? And so you know that would be the fool, 
and uh, uh, justice, or what Crowley called adjustment. And so the, the re, as far as I can tell, the reason why he, he's calling it adjustment, he doesn't say this in the book of both, but I take it that uh, in all likelihood it has to do with his Saudi is not the star issue. Because in the book of the law, he says Saudi is not the star. Well, you're looking at attributions of the letters, how they correspond to the trump cards. And so when you, when you, do, that, when you do what he said to do, and you rearrange the letters, you can see that, it, and if you follow through with the way that the, the vesica would align, you end up with uh, Tet on one side, which is strength or lust. It's Oz, 77. You have that on, on the right side. And then um, on the left, you have uh, the sun. And so you have, and so strength is Leo. Leo rules the sun. So you have the, the sun opposite Leo flanking the name. And so that, as far as I can tell, that's his whole thing with like the beast, because the beast is the, is referencing the, uh, the Babylonian sun square, right? We add up all the, uh, rows and you get these results. If you fold the Babylonian sun square into a tube and you follow diagonally, uh, going like, I guess you'd say, uh, northeast, right? So, uh, you end up with a spiral. The number is actually like, it's hard to explain kind of, you have to represent it. But, uh, if you go in a diagonal, direction you can you can keep a spiral going where the numbers are actually in order so so if you're familiar with the babylonian square you know that's the earliest mathematics we know of on on the planet pretty pretty much uh it's, it's quite a lot. obviously the i ching is extremely old uh but they the they actually relate to each other there's this really uh there's some unbelievable things you can do because if you add up any row you get one 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 which is, you know, you'd say if you if you spell out Aleph, the letter Aleph, you get one 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 as well. That's why like Crowley is like my prophet is a fool with his one one one. You know, so you add those all up in the Babylonian sun square, you end up with a total of six 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 for the for the row on on both sides. And then on top of that, and you can do that in any direction. Even if you do it diagonally, you still get six six six. This is crazy. You get one one one. And so, um, you know, the, this is related to the left pillar. So it's our it's emphasizing our relationship to mathematics. So, like, mathematics is foundational, yet we're relating to things in such a compartmentalized way that it's, it's emphasizing that when something is the basis for something else, but all of our attention is going to what's a copy. So, like, our left, we relate to as though it were the thing, but in fact, it's just replicating what's on the other side. And so, we don't really, like, <laughs> uh, we don't really have a true relationship to our right brain. I mean, it's there and it's doing what it's doing, but at the same time, like, we don't value it as much because what is there to value? Like, there's nothing that, that you can represent in form that is actually that. So, like, the representations all belong to the left. And so we're, like, projecting onto the other side. It's a very strange thing to try and relay. There's a great talk from, uh, what is her name? Um, God, I can't remember her name, but there's a TED Talk of a woman who was a neuroscientist and she had a stroke and she describes uh, what it was like to have her um, left brain basically shut down and the right brain to take over. And it's a very <laughs> psychedelic explanation of things, but it's called Stroke of Insight if you wanted to look it up. But yeah, I <laughs> recommend that because it's applicable to the two pillars and what they communicate. Well, one thing that you brought up earlier, it really really struck a chord with me. Are, are you, I'm sure you're familiar with the whole Terrence McKenna, I Ching 2012 thing, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. Like the way that um, Terrence McKenna and Jose uh, Arguez came da to the same David, date independently. David, I'm so sorry to, to cut you off. Would it be okay if we put a bookmark on that question I just asked you? Uh, somebody just came in would like to ask you a question. Would that be okay? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Caller, are you there? Uh, hello, Daniel. Hey there, Todd. 
Um, I love your show tonight, but I didn't catch your guest name because I missed the first part. That's Charles. Uh, that's David Charles Plate. David Charles Plate. Yes, uh, sir. Char- David, you you have a infectious laugh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I was going to call Daniel tonight and ask him if he knew the language of the universe. Do you know the language of the universe, Daniel? Um, no, but uh, please direct your questions at the guest. <laughs> uh, it's laughter. Oh, okay. By fair, the way. Fair by the way. But, but anyways, I love this show. Um, on the Illuminati, you know, the barbarian Illuminati, like you were saying, David. Um, yes, you know, at the turn of the century, just be- before the turn of the century... All the occult Western traditions, all their knowledge was built in and kind of formed around the the um, Golden Dawn and those fraternities that had busted off of Madame Blavatsky, and um, and they were all into Germatria, like you're discussing. Um, all of our society is wrapped around these numbers. Indeed, uh, that these groups use and um and all you have to do is look closely and then figure out the number and then you realize that there's a pattern to this so it's not a coincidence what's going on around us right yeah i um, um yeah go on oh anyways i i love the that the, your guest tonight daniel and then, and then david i was just gonna ask you how did it start you know when did you realize that there was a deeper thing going on here with yeah. these groups. And, you know, when did you find the magical thing? Well, I was, you know, I would say that when I was in, uh, in high school, I had, I, I got into some really strange reading. <laughs> and so I, uh, I've, I've been, you know, I was just, I've been studying, you know, uh, I went to uh, India to study with uh, Baba Hari Das, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali at one point, and I was actually working at an, wow. at an, at an orphanage. And I find that, like, uh, oddly, the system presented in Samkhya philosophy of the Yoga Sutras is really uh, surprisingly uh, resonant uh, with what I find in Kabbalah. And so, like, Kabbalah ultimately has Egyptian origins, uh, but does that yeah. mean that it's Egyptian? Like, does that, like, if we call it Jewish mysticism, it's really difficult because it's like, you know, even if we call it Egyptian mysticism, because it's its own thing. Like, and that's why, like, I was saying, like, like with the I Ching, you know, it's so relatable. You got 64 hexagrams, like, you know, uh, six right. straight lines and six broken lines formed in every possible chess combination. Board. Single chess, six lines. chess board. Chess right, board. Right, exactly. Chess board just. Just chessboard, 64 squares, uh, 64 codons of, of DNA, this kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it takes six straight lines and six broken lines to form a three-dimensional star tetrahedron, which I find really interesting because right. each thing is made up of hexagrams, right? So, like, there's these examples of things where you're like, that speaks for itself. Like, I don't necessarily like... So, you know, um, I was saying about the 216-letter the name, you know, I was saying because you go to the, the second uh, of the, uh, of the triplets of 72, you go to the second one and it goes right, right to left, or goes left to right, excuse me, but then the, the next one goes in the other direction again. So the way that they relate to this is that, you know, you're, you're living in one reality, you peer under that, and then you find, uh, conspiracy and corruption. But it's emphasizing that if you keep digging, you see another order that trumps that order, 
And so it's like, right. uh, but it doesn't, it's both. And that's the kicker. It's like right. people really have this te- in, like inclination, it's just a compulsion. It's just one thing to be one thing or the other. And there comes a point be, where it, it has, has to, to break down. To... Right. So, you know, that like no. my, my biggest issue is just, you know, more than anything else, the divisiveness that I see in politics and all this stuff is just like, you know, two things can be true or two things can be false at the same time or more things. It's just like there's uh, people want to be on a, on a side and have their side be the right side. And they kind of meet yeah. in different places. And so, you know, I'm just I, I, I see that the that the, it's not just the, the like, uh, you know, the elite. That are corrupt. Like we participate in the corruption. Like it's a, it's, yeah. there's a compliance that takes place, and we, it's something we do within yeah. ourselves. If we weren't bending over; they wouldn't be screwing us. Right there, you go. And so you know, it's it's you know at the same time, I, I like like I wouldn't say uh, like you know oftentimes when people relate new agey stuff, they'll be like you know if you were thinking different thoughts, if your thoughts were more positive, you wouldn't be having this reality and this and that. And yeah, it's ultimately true. But like I don't look at like a like an image or see some, somebody starving to death in Somalia and go, oh, well, if they were just thinking better thoughts, they wouldn't be and found themselves, or that it's the karma. No, from the no there's I, a, I can't go there's there. a layer. The, the problem I have, David, with this, this topic, because you can, you can whittle it down to the leap, deepest level of who's to blame for this situation. And those people are not to blame because when they have a, uh, when they have something sitting perched above their society that never lets them get up and that's taking advantage of them in the third world. Um, And so whoever these elites are that are, that are doing this worldwide, um, they're to blame, not the starving Africans that can't get. (laughs) Corporations won't let them have an air conditioning unit. Um, my wife and I were watching old creepy videos earlier, you know, like creepy commercials from the 70s of like McDonald's. Uh-huh. Where, um, in With the Donald 60s Trump or showing 70s, up in the 80s, actually, or 90s, I guess. It wasn't until then, but yeah, go on. But advertising agents seemed like they were mad because they ran commercials in the 60s and the 70s that you would never see today with creepy clowns selling you a hamburger. Oh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Right. And you're like, whoa. So this shit, <laughs> this shit goes back to now they're, they're, you know, with advertising, they're refining it so sharp now that you, they're smoothing the edges. Right. So the tr- the trick is, hamburger. right. They want you to look at uh, an advertisement the way it's presented and give you the sense that you see what the manipulation is. So the more that you yeah. actually have a confidence in yourself and your your lack of uh, susceptibility to different forms of hypnosis, the more like you you are actually susceptible to the hypnosis. That like that's a there's a whole Scientology thing around that. You know, it's like as far as I can tell in my extrapolation, one of the main things that Scientology does is it weaves through society to find to seek out the people who are most uh, susceptible to hypnosis so that they can be used for yeah. various psyops. And uh, that's what I see happening there. And it go, like I can give you uh, tons of examples, you know, get into healthy sculpture and shit. But yeah, there's that's that's been a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the most talent. I mean, you know, the biggest uh, marketing firms and sales agencies. This goes way back. They know how to teach people how to look for the openings to do the sale. What right. kind of person you're dealing with? They right. train their people 
these are techniques that are old. You know, they were called persuasion back in the day. Right. But but well, um, they yeah. they refined them, and then they used them all day on all of us. But um, but fantastic show. I didn't mean to interject too 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 much. <laughs> I just appreciate the programming on the Kabbalah. Yes, sir. When I found the Kabbalah. Uh, I was young. I was like in my my mid-teens maybe, and I'm 50 now. And I sat and read books on it, and Crowley talks all about the Kabbalah. I've got my hand on the Book of Thoth right now as we're speaking, by the way. Uh Um, Crowley's Book of Thoth, it's probably one of the best books on the Tarot. His card deck. Right. Um, The illustration work is probably the most fantastic. um, That's Lady Frida Harris. All those pieces were the size of paintings. And for every one piece that you see of the 78, there was many that were destroyed uh, till they reached perfection. She had no experience with occultism, supposedly. That's the the way the story goes, prior to that that deck. So she obviously got involved, I I think, in Eastern Star and stuff afterwards. But... Uh, but that you know, but then there's he a whole guided thing. her. He guided her on every card, and they still have his original illustrations of pencil sketchings that he was trying to get her to draw. Every sure. card he sat there with her. Sure. I would yeah. put those cards up in my house. I'd put those in painting. You know, I'd frame them. I'd hang them if you right. Get so, um, if, if so, a recommendation. If you obviously looked at the book of, of Thoth, I would say that um, his commentary on the Fool is some of the most revealing stuff you'll see in like any English occult book uh, because of the emphasis on, on the golden bow. And I'd love to to talk about that if I can go off for a bit. (laughs) Yeah. How about I jump, how about I jump offline, David, and you tell everybody about the golden bow by Frazier, because this story is incredible. Please go on and thank you for the incredible programming. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Good Good evening. Thanks Todd. Um, cool. So I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say some crazy stuff. <laughs> oh, I love it. Go ahead. Okay. So um, you know, I don't know if you've ever looked at the golden ball, uh, golden bow before, but it's a, it's like a anthropological authoritative. It's the thing is freaking huge. And uh, Stanley Kubrick in the 1970s uh, sent the head of Warner Brothers an unabridged set of of the golden bow and bugged him every uh, week uh, to see if he'd gotten into reading it. And after a year, the um, executive basically told Kubrick, I don't have time for mythology, to which Kubrick responded, this isn't mythology, this is your life. And so um, I would say, like, if you're looking at, at Cro- what Crowley is arguing about the, the Golden Bow in the Book of Both, he's saying, um, you know, that you, you basically we, ex- this is also what the Golden Bow is, is uh, this whole idea of like that a long, 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 long time ago, we used to exist with matriarchies. Uh, across the across the world, and uh, what that meant was, you know, you w- it, every, like somebody would be made into king based on uh, bloodline. They're born into it, but every so often they had to do this this act, and it's very resonant with the meaning of the jubilee. So for Jews, you know, that's, this is the way it's supposed to go: is every fifty years, all debts are forgiven and all slaves are released. Now in England, they do their version of the jubilee, but we never see that happen, <laughs> right? Uh, but the, the principle is that you have somebody who's of the lowest class 
who's a complete outsider, and he takes on the archetype of the fool, right? And what the fool represents is Aleph, what the meaning of the thing. And so, you know, there's a reason why the Torah starts with bait and not an Aleph, the second letter rather than the first, and it, it has to do with the, um, that's the first emanation on the Kabbalistic tree. So Aleph is uh, between Keter and uh, Bina. And so, uh, basically, it's this principle of rejuvenation. So they're like, if we go on and just keep things in the bloodline indefinitely, they recognize that because of, you know, uh, incest and all this stuff, that, that, that the empire, it'll break down in terms of the royalty. So they were like, you have to have somebody who's qualified come in, challenge the king, and if he defeats the king, if he kills the king, this will often be done ritualistically, too. Like, it wasn't always, like, a literal challenge. Like, this, he, the king would actually sacrifice himself. And so this, this outsider would then marry the king's daughter, and he'd take on the throne. So the, the, the golden bow itself is, is it's at this lake called the Lake of Nimi, and he, uh, Diana's mirror. And uh, the outsider pulls this branch in a ceremonious act, and that branch is symbolic of two things. It's the, the king's phallus and the king's daughter at the same time. And so he's literally challenging the empire with this action. And so, you know, they would allow this thing to happen every so often. Uh, but what Kubrick, or excuse me, what Crowley, uh, that's a Floydian slip, what Crowley is uh, <laughs> emphasizing is that, you know, is that there was a lot of attempts to manipulate it so that the outsider wouldn't really be a true outsider. He would actually be somebody who's on, the inside who's sent out and then returns. And, uh, you know, he's saying that this goes way back, you know, obviously, you know, that, that even when it was first starting that they would try and do this kind of thing with it, you know. And so what I'm looking at is, is um, Bohemian Grove. And, like, Bohemian Grove, when it was recorded, so we, we know Alex Jones snuck in with uh, uh, the camera and filmed this, the, the, you know, the cremation of Kara ceremony with this giant owl, 40 foot owl, right? If you see, yeah. it, you know what I'm talking about. And so, but what I see when I look at that golden bow ritual, I see, uh, <laughs> I see the lake and I see a, rep- a representation, except everything's in reverse. So instead of killing the king, they're celebrating killing the outsider. So they're like, fools, fools. I mean, like Midsummer sets us free and this whole thing. I think they're celebrating that they're, they're, they're basically putting this thing on hold and they're doing rituals to keep it the way that they think that they want it. But the, the, the whole point of the Golden Bow is that that has a breaking point. You can't go on indefinitely doing that. And then that's like where the scapegoat comes in. And so you, it's, it's very odd. Like Christianity is, is very odd because you have this notion of the scapegoat combined with the prophecy in the book of Isaiah. But there's no traditional relationship there. And every book that I've, I've looked at with my rabbi where we try and find, like, in, at one point we were looking at different examples of commentary on the scapegoat, and it was just filled with jokes. Like, no one took it seriously. This idea where you could have a string, a red string, and you cut it in half, and you tie half of it to a goat, which you sacrifice, and half of it to the temple door. And if in three days' time the string turns white on the temple door, then it's taken your sins with it. And it's like this whole weird thing. But, like, that's <laughs> where Christianity came from, is this whole idea with the scapegoat. But they have this whole thing of, like, that the, that the, that the king, basically, everyone would gang up. They'd pick somebody, and then they, you know, tear him to shreds, and it satisfies all the repressions and all this, you know, what's happening with the sublimation of the kingdom. Like, this, you, you do this action, you kill this thing, and then it's, it's supposed to set you free. And so what I'm looking at in, in the world, oh, so I should emphasize one thing. That day of the filming of the cremation of care ceremony at Bohemian Grove happened a year to the day of the release of Eyes Wide Shut. 
which was Kubrick's huh. final request of his life. And the man whose project the Bohemian Grove thing was, wasn't Alex Jones, it was John Ronson. And John Ronson, who sent him in there with the camera, if you watch both documentaries, there's a John Ronson documentary and there's Alex Jones documentary, you can see that he's the one really leading the show. All the questions are directed towards him. He's the one with all the answers. That guy is the only man at the time who had complete access to all of Stanley Kubrick's archives that's known because he did the documentary Kubrick's Boxes. So what in the hell are the chances that a year to the day and then it's freaking him. He's the only one. So it's like, and then the, and then Kubrick has this whole golden bow obsession. And so for me, I'm like, this is an extrapolation. I'm not going to sit here and be like, this is what it is, absolutely. But I look at Occam's razor, and I'm like, Occam's razor, that probability of that is out of control. It's like the Hal IBM thing. It's like, <laughs> hard. you know, Stanley Kubrick was born 606, or no, excuse me, Stanley Kubrick died 666 days before 1101. So January 1st, 2001, obviously he did 2001 Space Odyssey. But anyway, Stanley Kubrick died 666 days after the first computer beat a man at chess. The computer that beat the man at chess was admittedly modeled after the monolith from 2001 Space Odyssey, and it was built by IBM, and it was called Big Blue. Now you have blue blue and red, right? Like Sal in 2010, the year we made contact, which, you know, it's the Diamond Jubilee MGM production, you know, that, <laughs> that uh, you know, that you got the, the two, the Chesed and Gavor, you got the two pillars communicated. I could go on for days. 2001, if you add up the gematria of all the screen titles, so like Dawn of Man, Jupiter Mission 18 months later, Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite, if you add up the gematria of those titles, you end up with 777, which is the gematrical value of the lightning flash that extends down the tree in that zigzag. The lightning flash is representative of the formative order of creation in the sphero. So we see the dynamics of the vacuum communicated there through through the lightning flash. But there's a problem when you're when you're looking at the supernal and the terrestrial and how they meet each other. Because like what I was saying about like you know you look at um, the the diagonal pathways are supposed to be with with how the clepo um, or the outside intelligences are manipulating the consciousness. So if you're um, if you're looking at the, the relationship between the sustaining order of the empire, which is communicated through the 216-letter name, versus the formative order of the sphero with the 777 lightning flash, you can see that everything comes down to these particular pathways, and they actually form the Templar cross. So uh, the high priestess intersects as a cross with um, the empress. So you have the sacrifice and it's communicating the feminine. This is this whole thing. It's a Shakina in, in Zohar. It's one of the, like, it's one of the most unfortunate things of what happened with Kabbalah that's kind of left out. Cause like, you know, they, they have this whole thing around the replication. You have the sacred feminine being sacrificed and she is replaced by what Christians would call the scarlet woman, right? But it's a principle for, uh, in Jewish mysticism, it would be Lilith. And so you have Samael and Lilith are the equivalent of the beast and the scarlet woman. And so, and they're communicated through the strength card. So like Crowley has this lust with the, with the two characters. But that placement of that card on the Kabbalistic tree is the, is the lower horizontal line of the Templar cross. It literally connects Chesed, Mercy, and Gavora, Severity, the 72 and the 216. And so these communicate what's holding the empire together in our conception. And so it's, it's showing that because of this uh, repression or the uh, sacrifice of the, the uh, Shakina, which is related to Malkut at the base of the tree, that we push this down 
and then we put this other thing in its place. And that placement of that card, it's literally the, the keystone of the archway of the temple. So Solomon's temple is, is an externalization of the Kabbalistic tree. And so what we see on, when it's communicating the deeper emanation of the thing, it's showing you, like, this is a verse from, uh, you know, the Tanakh, where it's like, the, the stone that the builders rejected will be the keystone of the temple. And so Freemasons rep- represent this with the, with the cornerstone. But the keystone of an archway is the center stone of an archway, which is all the waist, weight is resting upon of that arch. And so this is a golden arch degree, you know, which is pretty bizarre that, you know, I saw another thing from Leo Zagami where he was saying, you know, in the initiation rites in Freemasonry, when you do the royal arch degree, that you're supposed to visualize these, the Joaquin and Boaz, established in strength, the two pillars crumbling behind you. And I'm like, wow, that seems like, it seems like anybody that went through that looking at 9-11 would know what they're looking at. Yeah. You know, um, uh, but then I went to look it up and actually it's, it's, what are the chances of this? It was a friend of mine, um, somebody I don't know too well, but who is actually a lawyer in, in Santa Cruz, uh, that I met. He's one of the main people behind sacredtext.com. And so he made a lot of the, the, those things, um, you know, fair use to look at a lot of free Masonic material, Manly P. Hall stuff, secret teachings of all ages, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, because it's much older and it's, you know, it's, he's given an argument for it and he did it in a legal way. And so I went to look up the ritual and I find that the end of it is removed. And so I brought it his attention that apparently when you got this from the um, Freemasons, you weren't given the full thing. And so I still don't know how true that is, but I do know that uh, that point that Leo Zagami made about 9-11 and Zohar is, is absolutely non-debatable. Um, and uh, it's re- it's really extensive. So I, ha- I have it all uh, written out in longhand. I have a friend helping me type it out right now. Um, he's leaving the, the Hebrew uh, letters blank so I can go back over and fill those in. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually, hopefully, if all goes according to plan, that'll be ava- uh, more available to people. Anybody that requests the longhand from me, I can I can give over to them. Though I gotta say, it's it's <laughs> it's not a, an ideal way to look at the text, but it's there. The translations are there. Um, I just went on a tangent. I feel like, but I, it <laughs> yeah, no worries. Uh, one thing that you did bring up, Bohemian Grove. Obviously, that's that's very fascinating. It, apparently, Alex Jones he sneaked in there, and to a lot of people, that's very suspicious because. How the heck could a guy like that sneak into something so heavily guarded? Do you think that he actually got in there, or is this is is he some kind of double agent, or has he been employed by somebody to do these things? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question, and one I don't really know the answer to. Though I would say that, yeah, is there much of a question that Alex Jones uh, is a, a shill? Like he's he's he has <laughs> there's every implication that he's a total shill. Uh, but at the same time, it's just like you're dealing. You gotta like I consider it from the perspective of like powers that be. It's like okay, you know that people are gonna be digging stuff up. You know that there's gonna be conspiracy theorists. If you if you have alternative media, how best to navigate that uh, most fragile of situations? But it seems like every time a story will come out. And people will be like, hey, look at this craziness. Any independent research, you know, InfoWars jumps all over it and then presents it in the most sensationalized, angry way possible. Generally speaking, it's just really freaking aggressive. Yeah. And like, and I, you know, like, and I'm not saying it's just like, I think that there's a, you know, um, 
you know, the, uh, <laughs> I was thinking of the John Lennon thing. It's like, you know, or by any means necessary, Malcolm X or whatever. It's like, uh, you know, you do what you can. And then at a certain point, it's like, okay, what the hell? But at the same time, like, I don't know. They feel, it feels really, uh, divisive to me what happens with Alex Jones. And so the fact that, yeah, he sneaks the camera in, whatever. Yeah. It, it is mega suspicious. But the fact is that's there. This is what goes on. That much I know. Uh, when you look at Eyes Wide Shut, you're looking at the closest representation of the upper OTO rituals in terms of sex magic stuff, you know, um, and what's going on. And so I find it really interesting that you'd have, you know, the the pinnacle of representation of what happens at elite ritual parties uh, being then demonstrated a, a real window a year to the day in real life, an elite ritual party like that. And then it would be so, re- re- you know, really relatable, resonant with the golden bow ritual, except in reverse. So it's like in eyes wide shut, you know, you have the Gnostic mass in reverse. There's something incredible that fucking happens. If you take uh, Leonard Cohen's uh, last album right before he died, um, you want it darker and you play it with, uh, with eyes wide shut. I have that available on my website. Uh, but yeah, that when the album uh, repeats itself and you have the song, you want it darker, you can actually turn up the volume and it'll align exactly to when the doors open for Tom Cruise, when he goes in and, um, has to remove his, uh, or not remove his, that's later, but when he sees the, the beginning ritual with the Gnostic mass backwards, that whole thing, it's like the, 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 the it actually forms another song. It's hard to describe, you'd have to see it for yourself. Uh, it's, it's actually in my film too, uh, my, uh, Cassandra film. So, my film was called Sorry Cassandra, I Misunderstood Everything Predicts 9-11. And so, uh, my friend, produced a film called Back to the Future predicts 9-11 while he was here in Santa Cruz. He's a um, basketball player. And uh, he produced this film, and he actually uh, got me a computer so I could produce its sequel. And so um, I didn't share it on YouTube because there's so much copyright stuff. I didn't. It's not worth dealing with for his account. And so I have it up on Vimeo right now. Uh, but, yeah, I, I uh, demonstrate that whole Eyes Wide Shut thing. Um, yeah, there's... Yeah, strange things <laughs> going on there. <laughs> just, to, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, before our caller came on, I did ask you about Terrence McKenna, the I Ching, in 2012. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that whole thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the thing was, is like with both of those guys, like that whole thing was based on a synchronicity where Terrence McKenna and Jose Arguelles came to the same date supposedly independently. And they ha- each had their interpretation of it, but but there's places where the interpretations meet, as far as I can tell. And so I'm no I'm no expert on either, but I've I've looked at their stuff a bit at different times in my life, and what I what I gather from it is that you know Terrence McKenna's thing of novelty has to do with uh, a lot to do with telecommunications being um, an externalized communication of a psychic link that actually is primary and primordial, and that you know is um, is, is, yeah, it's, it's more primary than what we're taking to be the connection. So we then, we basically, the, for, the quicker that we can communicate an idea, like he's talking about novelty, he's, being, he's using a term, but he's coming, he's presenting his own interpretation of it, Terrence McKenna. So it's like, he's describing this crescendo in communication, where something can be understood beyond language. So it's like, you know, he talked about the archaic revival or whatever. It's not so much a revival as much as it is like a renewal, because it's not that we're going back to what was, but we're taking an aspect of what was and acknowledging it because it's ultimately here in the midst anyway. And so there's a, there's a transmutation that's being pointed to in regards to that date, but it, neither of those people ever related it to, to it as the end of anything. 
all they were emphasizing was, was here's, here's a zenith crescendo point where there's basically like a movement that can't be changed. So it's a gravity thing. Uh, it's actually very relatable um, to what's communicated in uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras in regards to the state of samadhis. So like, you know, you have uh, Viveka Kyakti in Sanskrit is like the discriminative intellect. But so you have Purusha and Prakriti, spirit and matter. But opposites exist within matter. So, so Prakriti contains the opposite. So if you're representing that traditionally, you'd represent it as a, as a hexagram. And then the upward triangle communicates spirit, the downward matter. But that those two triangles are not actually opposites. The opposites are the three gunas, uh, Rajas, Thomas, and Sattva, that exist as a three-strand rope within Prakriti. They're the points of Prakriti. And so it's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty trippy because they have this whole thing where when this um, uh, discernment between Purush, which can only be in, inferred, and what stands out in space. So they basically like uh, the, the main method for advancing in, uh, that's presented by Patanjali in yoga philosophy is, you'd say in Sanskrit, neti neti. So it's a path of negation. Not necessarily in the psychoanalytic sense, the way that negation is often related to there, but in its own way. It's like that basically anything that stands out in form, you recognize that that can't be the source. And so that is applied on every level. That's true in Jewish mysticism as well. It's also very true in esoteric Buddhism, where there's this idea that if, you're, if we are in emanation, all those schools emphasize emanation. So it's like if you're coming from etheric to growth, you know, how anything that stands out in space can never be the source because of the very nature of like what we are in extension. And so the path of liberation is, is one of recognizing that even if it's a thought projection, whatever it is, that this cannot be that. So it's not this, not this, it's neti neti. And so I relate Dharma Meg Samadhi as the point at which this, the discriminative intellect, Viveka Kyakti, gets established firmly it takes on a gravity of its own. And so there, it's an, it's, it becomes a futile uh, movement to escape from. And so my feeling is like when we're looking at something in the external, obviously the, the temple in this case, as the two towers, is in its most degraded expression, which is what this text emphasizes. It's relating to money. So you have like basically the, the temple in its lowest form. And so when we see that destroyed, we see the fragility of the of the projection that's basically being held together through our, our consensus belief, and so we're all in agreement that this is the thing. This is what it. And so, like when I look at um, the symbolism of Trump and even Hilarion, like Hillary, like you know, as, like I don't know if you know, like Jack Parsons, you know, predicted like he had this whole thing around Hilarion is the name of the Scarlet Woman. Hmm. So like basically that gets the beast into power, as far as I can tell is like the communication. So it's like, you know, if it wasn't for Hillary in this case, you know, this is wild extrapolation, but I'm totally happy to go there. Uh, you know, uh, total spe speculative stuff. But it's really interesting. It's like Trump became president on, seven, what is it, 70th year, seventh month, seventh day of his life. Like it encodes a formative order into the thing. Oh. Uh, Obama leaves the on the 666th month of his life, if I'm not mistaken, something along those lines. I have to look it up again. But yeah, there's this, this whole crazy thing where you see like that there's an order in the midst of this thing that's supposedly so chaotic. And I'm like, the fact that he's called Trump, the fact that there's a Trump Tower, the fact that like Trump card is like the 16th Arcana. It's like Trump 2016. 
It's and then that, that's the Saudi is not the star issue with Crowley. It's like all about the seventeenth arcana of the star being switched with the emperor. So this is the thing: the emperor is Aries, right? The tower is Mars. Crowley in his flip attached the the emperor of Aries, but like Aries rules Mars, like are they're they're connected. And so and then like Saudi literally means fish hook, and then pay the letter corresponding to the tower means mouth. You have the mouth, the tower, you have got the fish hook, they connect together in his system, but it's a manipulation of the name. Everything gets moved over to the ninth degrees. This is the meaning of the ninth gate. It's what Polanski's film was all about, which is also a 1999 film, very resonant with Eyes Wide Shut. Um, Polanski and Kubrick seem to play off of each other quite a bit. Like, even like Barry Lyndon seems to have this relationship to Tess. There's all this weird stuff, you know. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> that's another tangent. But uh, I guess that's what I'm doing. Well, one one other topic that is super popular right now in in the world of conspiracies and paranormal is the Mandela effect. Everybody seems to be talking about it nowadays. There's things like phrases in the Bible changing and human anatomy changing. Baron Stein bears turn into Baron Stein bears. But what could possibly be causing this? Is it is it just human psychology or is is reality changing around us what's going on my my feeling on it is that just it simply put is that the left can't understand the right in certain cases you can see it's a reflection on how wires get crossed and so i w- i remember when i was a kid berenstein looking at that and being like that's spelled wrong because I, I, it just didn't look the way that it was being pronounced and i remember being told no no we say berenstein but yeah it looks like you know looks like this um, but, uh, you know, uh, and then like the Sinbad thing, you know, whatever with Shazam and it's like, you know, he play he, there was a marathon of Sinbad in the nineties where he like got dressed up in his genie outfit. And I think he just looks so similar to Shaq that the, the wires just got crossed for people. Um, but the thing is, it's like, it's, it's totally like, that's it's Crowley's whole thing. It's like, nothing would be what it is because everything would be what it is. And it's very Alice in Wonderland. Like, and we're having to face the degree to which our projection is malleable and that people want things to be this or that. And it doesn't really, nothing is so, is so simple necessarily. Like, I really resonate with Philip K. Dick's idea around Vallis. Um, and I relate his conception of Vallis directly to Tisha B'Av. Because Tisha B'Av, the destruction of the temple, is very much like a, a big crack in what's supposed to be a relatively perfect system. So significance of the septogram. So like, you know, Thelema has this whole thing, you know, you have Babylon being communicated as a seven-pointed star. So instead of having the hexagram, we have the seventh point in the center, and you actually have an equilibrium. You have a disequilibrium that approaches an equilibrium. So it's a replication, and that makes it like a perfect communication of what the beast and the scarlet woman rep- represent. Because... They're, they, they actually serve a function because of the way we're, we're compelled. So because we drift further and further and further to the left in our, in our consciousness, um, in terms of, you know, the emphasis of the hemispheres, you know, they, they are like, <laughs> in the circumstances that we find them ourselves, they have a value because they're, they're breaking down the, the apparent solidity of this massive aversion that we have. So like, the whole notion of like repression and sublimation is like really emphasized in Zohar. For that reason, I have a really difficult time not considering that Freud didn't take his main staple conceptions of um, of psychology that he didn't just ex- take that from Zohar. And I think one of the reasons uh, Jung probably pissed him off so much is that Jung never hesitated 
to say, this is where I got this. But, you know, you got to consider the context. You're in Vienna, 1930s and 40s, World War II, all this stuff. Freud is a Jew. Like, if he says, oh, we're looking at Jewish mysticism, he's not going to have a school. He can't go on like that. And so, you know, these have been uh, uh, represented. But it's it's symptomatic. Like, you can see that in, through the, looking at the distortion, you can see the, the flaws in it. And it's not like, it's something that we're already doing. So it's not like as much, ultimately, as far as I can tell, like, what we need to do is to recognize what we're, what we're already doing in the first place that we won't acknowledge or admit to. And so, like, we're projecting all this stuff, and we're acting like this is just the way things are. And so, you know, that's my, not, this is my personal assessment of the thing. But I guess all I'm saying is I, I, I see, a, 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 like, a compensation that exists. So it's like if things get Apollonian enough, you need the Dionysian. If things get Dionysian enough, you need the Apollonian. They're mutually interdependent. Um, expressions. It's very like, you know, that's Nietzsche's thing with the birth of tragedy, but it's like, that's a real, <laughs> the opposites really do exist that way. The, the, the idea of, of a continuum, you know, it's like, we're, it's, it's an, it, there's a duality that's being projected onto a polarity. And we live in an undivided spectrum of existence, but we're putting, we're, we're relating to the opposites as though opposites only exist in opposition. And I think that that's a misconception, ultimately. Um, I think that, that where we're looking at the, at the, the conflict, that's uh, indicative of a distortion, and that's something to own up to. But that takes a lot of uh, humility and humiliation. <laughs> there's, no humili- there's no humility without humiliation, you know, because you've got to recognize what, the, what your part in something is. You know, how are you keeping this ball rolling, you know? Um, and so, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Another topic that floats around the paranormal world, uh, it, it might be equally laughable, but it's the whole concept that some of our leaders are actually reptilian hybrid aliens. What do you think of that whole thing? Is, is it stupid? Could there be any truth to it? I think that there's definitely something to be said for the reptilian brain. Which is literally what's, what's, but it's, that's the medial part of the brain, you know? So like, where we say, oh, the pineal gland and the stuff, it's like, you know, this is something that should be activated, you know, not to be too crystal hippie about it, but like, that's what people, you know, would, you, that's the thing. It's, uh, uh, usually, uh, um, what'd you call it? It's like voluntary and voluntary. It's like, you don't have to pay attention to your heart for it, for it to beat, like, but you, you know, you, you, you could actually, like, people can change their heart rate. It, like all kinds of things like that. You don't, your, your breathing is usually unconscious, but you can make it conscious. So like in the same way, like you give attention to something, it's literally physical attention. So like I relate like uh, with Vipassana, like what the, you know, uh, beyond just like, you know, the, the, the very short lineage that's, that's, uh, is technically Vipassana. Like the principle of that goes all the way back and all Vipassana is, is following sensation, you know? And so, I think that there's something to be said for when that isn't, um, when one uncon- like has a, something acting unconsciously. When something gets activated in an unconscious way, it it has a certain way that it plays out. It's your fight or flight part of your brain, and so I think that there's validity actually to like that whole idea of the reptilian thing. But like, it's not just like oh, the elites are reptiles necessarily. It's like that is a, clo- a very close approximation of how to relay um, through the best possible, mo- a very direct metaphor of like what 
that part of the brain is like when it's being used in the wrong way. Like, so when you look at Zohar, you know, and it's true for Patanjali as well, that there's an emphasis on like what it means to like arrive. So they're like, you know, we, we reach a certain level and we're like, okay, I've arrived. And their whole thing is like, if you can say that, if you can stop and be like, okay, this, and you can formulate around that, then that's not it because you're, you're falling short no matter what. And so it's like to relate to any representation or a symbol and say, okay, this is a thing. This is like a source thing of, of, of substance. It's not, it never, it never really happens. And so what I look, when I see the elite and the way that the mystery schools are set up or the secret societies are set up and all this stuff, I feel like there's like a, people really, really want that sense that they, that they've made it. And, that they've, and so because it's set up in that way, they can reach a certain level of, of what we could call, you know, uh, evolutionary development, but it's still like it's so arrogant to take this to be the ultimate, and it isn't the ultimate. But they, but it's all, it's like they have no base for comparison. So it's like if you reach a certain state, you're like, okay, I've arrived, and they're getting kind of they're getting off on it, and so it's like, yeah, I'd say that they're in in that sense, reptilian brain, fight or flight, what is really going on there psychologically. And then relating that to the elite, sure, yeah, there's there's truth to it, just not necessarily in the way, um, you know, David Icke communicates it necessarily. Like, I think it's helpful actually to go to the, to take it absolutely literal, literally, because people can downplay its significance in not doing so. Like, I'm not a fan of Zachariah Sitchin, you know, but like I would, you know, I would say if you're gonna if you're gonna read it, the more you know, if the more you cross reference, the more holes you're gonna find in it, you know. But like what happens to people when they entertain something, it can kind of break them free from their paradigm. It's just don't ever settle. Keep going. And it's a really good lesson. Like, if you get into Zachariah Sitchin and you reference stuff afterwards, it's kind of a good, healthy process. Because if you're going to be honest with the whole thing, you can see the how it's specifically manipulated. Like, I'll look at that with researchers. Like, sometimes you can kind of uh, uh, recognize or infer how... They really were like, you can see the intent sometimes in disinfo. Like sometimes the disinfo isn't necessarily like, um, altogether untrue. Like it's like you can see why they extrapolated that from said information. But then there's other times where you can see, oh, they're literally stretching to make it work the way it's like, you know, like Kenneth Grant would do that, you know, like where you're looking at his Kabbalistic stuff and it's just like, you just fudged the math to make that mean what you wanted it to mean. You changed certain letters, you did something, you know, and that's manipulative and I don't really care for that. So I always like, when looking at any researcher, I'm always like, well, is it an, an intentional manipulation or is it just you tried, but you made a mistake? Does that you follow me? Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I did have another question here. It was actually about ancient aliens. Do you feel that we could have actually been created by aliens or does that just not make sense to you? Oh, I'm, I'm open to all kinds of things. I would also argue like, you know, just like if you're going to talk about God, like what are we even talking about? Like you got to define your terms, but then there's certain things that can't even be defined in the usual sense of definition. So it's like, you know, ancient aliens, I don't know, like what, what are the, uh, intelligences? Like the Klepo of, are related to as, um, you know, outside intelligences for all intensive purposes it's 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 uh intense and purposes uh it's uh, uh alien influence on our consciousness it's actually parasitic and so you know but even that has its place like they relate that the clepo are the um are like the fertilizer for the tree itself 
and that they're subject to transmutation. The intention of the tradition of Kabbalah in relationship to the Klippo is to, is to nullify them, which actually, uh, you know, is, is re- relating to the idea that of, of transmutation. So, like, you know, Scorpio used to be communicated in this way where you'd like, uh, it's an alchemical explanation where, like, if you had a flower or a plant that managed to grow in soil that wasn't fertile, so it's rel- it's somewhat fertile, but it happens to grow there. And then it's like it's dropping its seeds, and those seeds aren't going to sprout because the soil surrounding it isn't fertile. But if it manages to endure long enough and drop enough seeds, those seeds rotting will actually uh, putrefy and it'll make the soil fertile. So you'll end up with a field of plant life in a place where you wouldn't think that that would be possible. And that, that principle, uh, like... America itself, you know, according to Malin P. Hall, at least, like if you're looking at the globe and you're looking at the correspondences of the astrology as it relates to like the continents, it's like America is taken to be Scorpio. And that's, you know, sacrifice, rejuvenation, this whole thing is like, and that really seems to make sense because it's it's Mars. And I'm looking at what's happening now and I'm just like symbolically like, so that was the thing I was talking about the Saudi is not the star issue. It's like Crowley's whole thing is you got system and system. You got star and star. Let not one know well the other. He's trying to keep a hold on. It's like, that's why you hear about like, you know, Satanism in secret societies. Sure, there's some people that believe all kinds of wacky shit. And then there's also like safeguards. Like anybody who's leaning in this other, like they're not going to want to look at that if they get that idea in their heads that, oh, this is satanic in that sense. Like, so it's a, it's a protective measure to keep your system closed off from the other system, so you can't see where the one system ends and the other system takes over. Because the Golden Dawn system is totally grafted onto the other thing, but it's it's relating to the material in an entirely different way. And so, like, that's the, the real insight comes from taking things that are supposed to be separate, but seeing how they unify. Like, I don't know, like, why wouldn't you do that? Like, <laughs> in terms of traditional Kabbalah, to look at how, to cross-reference how it relates to what's happened with Kabbalah now. But I find that really the most revealing thing. And that's why I do what I do as a practice with my, like, film album pairings. Like, they're really profound. But, like, it's the whole thing of, like, you can, if you follow it through, you can see, like, even, like, a lot of them, there's backstory and there's this stuff. Like, I'll run an experiment over and over again. This will happen with a lot of my films where I'm like, okay, I, I go, I set it up. I'm looking at the film, I take the album, I try and see how it aligns, and it'll be like, that. wait a minute, if I start the album at the exact second that the film starts, the album will like either go two, three, or even four times, and will like end on the second that the film ends. And I'm like, what the hell are the chances of that? And like, it'll be like albums and films that I've never tried with anything else. Like, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to run this experiment. And then it's like, boom, that just happens. It'll happen over and over again. When things have a certain, uh, you know, resonance, and you bring them together, it's sometimes shocking. And you don't, it's like, you know, that's Kubrick's whole thing, too. It's like, you got to, like, see what happens for the sake of seeing what happens. Like, I will step out on limbs. And it, I used to feel a lot crazier when I would really get into a rabbit hole like that, you know. But uh, these days, I'm like, I'm pretty comfortable with uh, gray area. I think it's really a good thing to not have to know what's what and then lean in that direction like this is what it is like it's good to stay open and just see the way that things play out on their own see both sides oh Um, yeah i I totally agree i think one of the big problems that we have is a lot of people feel ashamed to just think outside the box and the concept of that is ridiculous yeah yeah it's 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 something and it doesn't mean like like i can entertain something but just like 
it's amazing what happens if you don't settle for the jump to conclusions board where where you first land. It was like there's a compulsion that people have. So it's like when in, on my radio show I always record like we you know with my co-hosts we kind of set up this intention where it's like you know what to the best of our ability let's not like settle for one interpretation of explanation. Just to see what happens if we just remain open. And it's like, because that was one of the main problems I saw with a lot of um, internet radio and radio in general, like, where I was, like, seeing that, like, okay, well, this person has this view, and now everything that follows, we're going to see, they're going to, like, compulsively prove what they've already, like, concluded. Yeah. And I'm just like, I understand, like, if, if things pile up enough, you just got to be, okay, give me a break. You know, there, how could this be? Like, it's like, you know, playing uh, Marilyn Manson's Hollywood album with Holy Mountain, you know, just on a whim. And then I'm like, holy cow, these go together, like, to an insane degree. And then, like, but that's, it's the syntax, because it's like, when I did that, I didn't know that they were, like, best friends, Marilyn Manson and Alejandro Jodorowsky, who produced the Holy Mountain, and that Alejandro Jodorowsky officiated Marilyn Manson's wedding, like, that kind of stuff. And then I read quotes from Alejandro Jodorowsky, where he's, like, calling this album his magnum opus and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, give me a break. You know, yeah, and like, I'm still open to the possibility that there is no intention there. That's just the freaking cosmos. But then I'm like, okay, what's the Occam's razor? You know? Yeah, like, that's really, interesting like, about Marilyn Manson because I he seems to be kind of into spooky sort of hidden things. I've seen pictures of him actually wearing a Masonic ring. Oh, sure, sure, sure. He's a, he's a, has free, free Masonic uh, connections. I don't know exactly where he's at, but yeah, he's a uh, you know uh, Anton Lavey friend uh, you know like that's hollywood underground kind of stuff and like yeah that gets really crazy like when you start like <laughs> i mean I, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the satanic church and all that but it's it's laughable it's a joke but at the same time there's really peculiar suspicious elements like mm-hmm. um susan atkins who killed sharon tate like she was a member of the satanic church that's a matter of fact that was never mentioned in the trial, for lack of a better word. I, I did like, not even know that. I did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah, so, like, wow. I would never, like, argue that, like, Manson wasn't, was, 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 like, a good person. He's not a good person. Definitely not. Just to emphasize the point, because I don't want to be missing uh, this Now, let me ask and you then, about that. Let me ask you about that. Oh, sorry if I cut sure. you off, but I, I did no, want to... No, fine. Yeah, I did want to ask you about Manson. Like, what the heck was going on there? Was that some kind of... Uh, mind control stuff? Could that have been like an MK Ultra thing? Was he sent out there to kill these people, or was he just uh, a crazy hippie or beatnik? Well, that's a huge conversation, but just to like, you know, bullet points, just uh, <laughs> not to, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I would just say that the fact that um, Susan Atkins got out of a coffin and pointed at her next victim, you know, and is with the Satanic Church, that's on film. Like, you know, that's a cult. Like, there's, you know, you look at members, you're like, okay, Jane Mansfield, you know, Marilyn Monroe, um, you know, obviously uh, JFK, the whole rap pack, like all these people that America knows and, and loves, you know, and it's like, if you're going to then acknowledge that this person belonged to this organization, what kind of, you know, can of worms is that going to be for the Hollywood underground, you know, like, because that's what that issue was really related to. And it's like, and then there's a the Scientology thing. Supposedly went to clear. I don't know if that's true, but I do know if you look at uh, Peter Lavinda's work, you know, he really does a good job of uh, empirically, like, he'll be empirical when, for the most, from what I gathered, like, at least with Sinister Forces and stuff. Like, Peter Lavinda, it's like, if he's uh, uh, extrapolating something, he acknowledges it, like, as an extrapolation. Like, he's not, well, in other words, like, 
he he'll like he'll be like, okay, well, this is true. We know this. We know this. We know this. What does that mean? It could mean this, or it could mean that. So it's like I really enjoy watching him get interviewed because it's like people will be like, oh, so you're saying this? And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, I'm not saying that. Like I'm saying that there's this and there's this. It could mean that, or it could mean something else. Or it could mean something I never even thought of. Um, but yeah, so that's the thing with um, you know you you got uh, people tied. There's like thirty something Scientologists that were killed right after the murders happened, and all this, you know all this kind of stuff. It's like it's it's um, it fits into a, a larger context too, because like if you're looking at Mark David Chapman, we're supposed to believe that there was no success with MK Ultra somehow or very little success. Huh. And that's not really what the documentation shows or the idea that this just ended with that label, you know, like I have a real I don't buy into the um monarch thing completely because only because all we got is Kathy O'Brien. If there was other people that that said it in the first place, you know, like okay, but yeah, she's got a weird thing going on. I don't I don't I wonder about that. It feels kind of weird. It's kind of an Alex Jonesy kind of you know, kind of thing. Like I don't, I don't know, uh, but I, I, I do really get the sense that you know if you want if you want to pull something off, you know, whether it's Scientology or or you know the Satanic Church, it's like the more laughable you are, the better it's going to work out for you. Like the more disregarded you are, you know, it's like oh those people like with the Satanic Church, they're like oh those people just want to have sex and be and do drugs and just be weird, you know. And I'm sure that's a huge part of it, but there also seems that there's very peculiar elements. And I wonder to myself like how much some of these musicians and you know people that get involved are really aware of, of the depths of what's going on. And I wonder to myself too how conscious it all is and what's affecting what. Like talk about like art imitating life and life imitating art. It's like I don't really know where the where the lines end. You know, I mean, it's a real concern too because it kind of reminds me of like the Aldous Huxley supposition where he's like, you know, his fear was that we just get so bombarded with information we wouldn't we would become complacent because we wouldn't know how to t- take a position. And that's he was um, Orwell's student, you know, so it's like Orwell had a concern that just, int- like, information would just be withheld, and that that was, that was the point. And I think that both are true, and that's really kind of <laughs> kind of heavy, but that's what it is, you know. It's like both are actually happening at the same time. There's a, rep- there's a suppression of certain availability of, of information, and then at the same time, it's like there's so much information av- available, too, in the midst of that, hardly anyone knows what to m- really make of anything. But there's a, there's a weird confidence in, t- in, in people's assumptions when they're relating to the world, gen- generally speaking. Like, it's like, this is just the way things are, this is the way they've always been, and I'm always kind of like, could, like that's why I said I was resonating with Vallis and Philip K. Dick. I'm just like, could it just flip, like dramatically, like all of a sudden? Does it have like a breaking point, you know? And like I gotta wonder, you know. And I, I, I don't know. I, I relate to things in different ways. I never would have thought that I would consider that there could be like enough of a intelligence behind the way that things come into form that like even something like mutation, like radiation could actually in the ultimate long run, in the long, long run, could could actually be an aid to us somehow. That like maybe like the way we are is just not what it could be. And that in like a principle in alchemy where they say you separate and you coagulate and you reunite, that that coagulation period is like an essential part of the development. Maybe that's for a reason. But then I also consider the fact that I, <laughs> that I could, that I could easily be like, just like, you know, um, that that itself for me to think that could be like an aversion to acknowledging the destructive nature or whatever, you know, I don't really, I don't know for sure, you know, ultimate positions. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard to figure out. I totally agree with that because 
like the, some of these celebrities are so creepy. Like, uh, not Lady Gaga, but Katy Perry. She just recently released a new album, and it's like an eyeball, and she was doing all this sort of creepy stuff on live video where there's all kinds of eye, eyes and symbiology and stuff like that. It really does make you wonder if these are mind-controlled slaves or they're just using this symbiology to get more attention or what. Right. I wonder about, um, you know, this idea from uh, Crowley of that the rituals will be half revealed, half concealed. And the way that it could be that, that certain people, like when it comes to the, what would be called the great work, if they belong to any of these organizations, which all connect, uh, like they use the same text. Like, they're referencing the same stuff. That's really what's crazy. Like, if you dig around in all of those mystery schools, you find that they're using the same material. And so, you know, I wonder to myself if that's like, if in order to move up in these organizations, if you present something to the public and they and that it's like a ritual, like here's, you know, like if people gather in a theater, it's a very ritualistic act. Like, you pay for your ticket, you go in the room, you sit down, the curtain's open, very resonant of like Solomon's Temple or something, you know, obviously in a debased form, but the principle's there. <clears throat> and so I wonder if that's like the thing, if you can pull something off where you've communicated something radically different than what people thought and the, and the inner circle knows it, that maybe they, they help you along and your cooperation with that is like, you know, um, goes a long way. And then if they don't like what you start doing, they can shut you down too. You only have so much creative influence on your own a lot of times for the way that things get produced now, uh, depending. And so, like, there's examples where I'm like, I really feel that, in all likelihood, Lars von Trier makes his films to go in sync with particular albums. Like, Melancholia, and as weird as it sounds, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by the Smashing Pumpkins are like, <laughs> they're like the same thing. It's crazy. But the thing is, is, like, that film came out long after the album. So if you entertain intentionality, especially if you get to the end of that shit, it's like, it's out of control, it's ridiculous off the charts, like, probability, what in the living fuck? And so, for that to happen, it's just like, well, you know, is that, <laughs> do they respond to that? Like, if you do, if you pull something like that off, where it's like, you just made a, you made something that was a hit on its own to a degree, but then there's a whole other, like, you know, subliminal communication thing happening that can be demonstrated, and so, you know, I relate to it a lot like it's like uh, like light and water. Like the angle at which light refracts water to produce a rainbow is always 42 degrees, you know. You got 42, 42 the, the name of 42 in uh, Kabbalah is related to the first, t 22, uh, first 42 letters of uh, Bereshit. So Genesis up until formless and void, you know. Like, they, they have this whole thing with that, and like, but they relate it traditionally as a rainbow, and as Shakina is like a rainbow. Like, if a rabbi sees a rainbow traditionally, they're supposed to look the other way just out of courtesy because it's the closest communication of the sacred feminine that can be communicated in form. And so, you know, uh, and, and it's what, uh, traditionally people are, rabbis are told to visualize, uh, our Jewish mystics are told to visualize at the time of death. This is a 42 letter name. And so I'm like, you know, I look at that and I'm like, oh, in Egyptian mysticism, you got 42 principles of Ma'at are recited at the time of death, which determines the weight of your heart to a peacock feather, which is communicated as a rainbow, because it's a peacock feather. And I'm like, oh wow, it's another, and it's like, it's also, you know, related directly to the, the, your, your, um, afterlife. And then it's like, for, uh, Indians, India, Indians are told to visualize the Sri Yantra at the moment of death, which, uh, uh, Kevin Halcott, a friend of mine, does a really great blog called Live from a Logosphere, has, uh, emphasized the point that that's composed of 42 triangles. That's traditionally 
uh, communicated as a rainbow. You have those, it's like, the what the heck is up with, like, the? I mean, and that's just a fact. Always 42 degrees in your relationship to perceive a rainbow. So, like, I relate to, like, the album and the film pairing thing. Like, it's, it, it is actually a literal... Um, direct poetic communication of the way that light meets water. It's kind of a difficult thing to try and put into words, but I feel like they speak for themselves. Like, if you follow them through, you start to see that. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. I don't know if I answered any question that you asked or if there even was a question. I'm just kind of going with it. But yeah. Well, how about this one? Since, since we've been spending a little bit of time back in the 60s and 70s, uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, was he killed by the government, or who do you think killed him? I've, I watched that um, uh, documentary called uh, Everything is a Rich Man's Trick, uh, JFK to 9-11, and uh, they presented something there, and I cross-referenced it, and I cannot deny it. Like, the, the sewer drain, 15 feet away. Everyone's saying grassy knoll, grassy knoll. You can see the angle came from below. I've always saw that. Even in school, they're like back into the left. I'm like, how did the shot come from below? Well, the Zapruder film, you're, it's facing the other way. If you look at it, so apparently, according to that documentary, and, I, and it was it was well backed, uh, is the idea that in, in all likelihood there was actually eight shooters, and they shot simultaneously, and they did it twice, and then they still didn't get the headshot, and the headshot was actually a, a, the next. So they did it twice didn't make it, uh, and then the next shot came from 15 feet away from a sewer, a sewer drain. Uh, the man was actually arrested that day uh, at a car dealership that he worked at, covered in shit, and uh, they were like, the president's just been shot, this guy's showing up, he's vomiting, he's covered in shit, very suspicious, he was arrested and released. Can't tell you the guy's name, you'd have to watch the documentary, but I've looked at a lot of stuff on JFK for years, obviously, you know, but uh, <laughs> that was a kicker. I think it's really funny not maybe not funny of the operative, but I think it's really interesting that freaking uh, uh, Woody Harrelson was in Natural Born Killers, which was directed by Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone also directed JFK, but Woody Harrelson's dad con- confessed to being involved in the JFK assassination, which is like that's a really weird one. It's like did Oliver Stone just intentionally cast freaking Woody <laughs> Harrelson and, and like and that's uh, Lana Del Rey's album. Uh, what is it? Uh, Paradise. Um, the um, had two. There was one, there was like a edition of the um, uh, some Born to Die. If you play that with Natural Born Killers, it's it's pretty incredible. <laughs> oh wow! I'm gonna have to try that. <laughs> well, it's all the stuff. Like I got like 80 videos available, and I've I've like I like this is years and years and years and years and years and years of of a lot of work. And uh, this man Guillaume in France has helped me to uh, make that available for people. So any of these things, if you want to check them out, they're all like instant streaming. Um, if for some reason you're like, it works fine on my computer, it works well for a lot of people's computers, but they're, they're very high quality films. So it's like, a, it's, you know, uh, there's the option to download. So I'm just saying, you know, whatever, be technical, but, um, yeah, it's, there's a, there's a lot of them. <laughs> and each one of them is just like, I can't even tell you, I can't relay if you're just looking at the, um, the image that if you click on it, it'll go to like just how much went into each one of those. Like I'm talking like, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours just forever, you know. <laughs> so I'm kind of crazy in that way, but it's how I, it's how I navigate the world. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've always been aware of 
of the the thing with Dark Side of the Moon and the Wizard of Oz, but I had no idea that there was all these tons of other ones. I'm definitely gonna have to try some of these out. This sounds really cool. Yeah, my my feeling on it from every all the ones that I've looked at, the oldest one is actually Revolver and Bluebird. There's a film Bluebird that's actually the basis for uh, the inspiration for L. Frank Baum's The Wizard of Oz. So he's a theosophist, you know. Our caller mentioned Blavatsky, so you know, but that's more. Um, Alice Bailey School at that time, so which is an offshoot of the Theosophical Society to lose his trust, you know. But um, yeah, there's uh, there's this really weird Russian film that's like so America and Russia have like gone back and forth making Bluebird over time, and oh. Bluebird is about the Bluebird of Happiness. It's the original name of MK Ultra is Project Bluebird, right? Oh, okay. Uh, which ca- which came from the story. That's why, and it's why in The Wizard of Oz. In the song, um, the uh, Judy Garland sings, it's like somewhere over the rainbow, rainbow bluebirds fly and all this, you know. Uh, there's something significant, too, about the man who wrote that song, but I'm not going to do it justice at this moment. Uh, but the uh, the point is, is like, that's the earliest one that I've found, and it's really hard for me to not, like, feel that, like, <laughs> that the Beatles freaking did that, like, that revolver is actually, like, a whole statement on um, communism versus capitalism, which is what has happened with Bluebird over time, because they're both different ideas around what brings happiness so it's like there's the russian idea and then there's the the western idea like we have these different um you know america and russia going back and forth with bluebird even in the in 1976 i think uh there's a version of it that was uh filmed in russia in the middle so that's the middle of the cold war with like jody uh, not jody foster what's her name is it jody foster yeah no 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 no, no. derp god who the hell is that Uh, judy garland no, 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 no. It was I can't I can't remember who was in it. But uh Wait, are you talking about uh, Bluebird? Yeah, I'm talking about that there's a there's a version of Bluebird Is that was Shirley like, Temple in that one? There's a Shirley Temple one that's an American one. So then there's like an American one that was filmed in Russia that I wasn't even like intended to like be mass produced. Oh weird. Like, it was just like they just made it, like you can find it. Um but yeah, it's uh, uh oh Bridget Fonda. Um Bridget Fonda's in it. But it's just this it's like it's just a statement of like this ongoing discrepancy or this ongoing conflict between us and, and Russia, and then the Beatles totally played on it. It's like there's weird shit with the Beatles forever. I mean, I could that that is a synchronicity gold mine. Anything Beatles related, and the whole Paul is dead thing. Like <laughs> the people who the people that I've met that are the most serious about it, who have been up on that like since the '60s, who are much older, they're all generally in consensus that Paul never died. Like, but they but they generally agree that there's at least more than one, uh, and only for certain periods. So, like, because when they they look at all of the photographs and they do all of that work, they all generally come to the same assessment in what I've um, seen in the in the study groups that I've come across. Where it's basically like, you know, the, it's that the changes stay consistent. So if you're looking at the photos, you're like, he has the same chin. Here, here, and here, and here. He has, and he has the same eyebrows here, here, and here. He knows everything. And then you're like, okay, well, then we, we, but then you look at other pictures at different times, and it's like it, it's specific the way that it goes back and forth. And it was after he had his hiatus for a year or whatever it was, and people were concerned that the Beatles broke up. And it's like, you know, I find that real. That's crazy. It's like, okay, so uh, all these people jump on board with the Paul's dead thing. There's every indication that that was like the Beatles themselves pushing that rumor. Um, there's a, a lot to suggest. Uh, that it was probably Ira Levin started it um, in the uh, university that he was from. He was like in the um, writing department, and the first article that ever came out 
suggesting Paul is dead with like he was there at the time. So that's the writer of Rosemary's Baby and uh, Stepford Wives. And he had this and Boys from Brazil. He had this whole fascination with the idea of devils that he kept as an ongoing theme throughout his work. And like and then that has extreme significance to what I, I relate to, like. Like the film Metropolis from the 1920s, 1926 or whatever, that's like an ultra mega Kabbalistic. That's like, if you want to know like a representation of Zohar in film, that's like the most direct would probably be Metropolis from 1926. And that's Lady Gaga's whole thing. So she's named after it, really. That's the joke. Cause it's like, uh, she's named after the Queen song, Radio Gaga. But if you look at the original music video for Queen's Radio Gaga, it's all Metropolis. So her album, The Fame Monster, goes with Metropolis like crazy. You have to wait until like the song Teeth for it to really like take off. It does this whole thing. Um, which is kind of like a protective shell. Like I've noticed that with a lot of these pairings where it's like, it doesn't always like kick off right away. It's like, you gotta wait like for the album to go through for, for a ways before it just becomes what it becomes, you know? Um, it's like a, a, the valley obscured by clouds. Like That's the thing with Pink Floyd, man. It's like Pink Floyd, like they started doing soundtracks. Like that's what they did. Like more in the valley, like obscured by clouds and, and the film La Valley or whatever, the French film, like they go together. Like they were always doing soundtracks like from the get-go. And like, so it's, it, and then, so the second one, um, I can't remember if it's uh, maybe Summer of 42 and Adam Hart Mother is in there. Like the uh, There's uh, the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour, the film. The, uh, if you play that with the Rolling Stones, Her Majesty's Satanic Request, it's just crazy. Like, and that, that was um, you know, the anniversary in reverse of John Lennon's death. It's actually my birthday. Um, December 8th is uh, uh, um, the uh, Holy Day in Catholicism. That's the, um, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So it's the day for the virgin birth. And so you're like, okay, so John Lennon is killed on the day for the virgin birth uh, in front of the uh, Dakota from Rosemary's Baby. Uh, in the film Rosemary's Baby, he dies in the, right near the same spot where uh, Volkswagen Beetle gets covered in blood. If you look at all the different shots from that scene, you can actually see that there's four Beetles, and one of them gets covered in blood from the woman who uh, was Playmate of the Year that year in real life. She's the, the playing the character in the movie that they actually give her, like, her playboy name, as I recall, like in the movie, they like say it, but she like had the worst accident that year in playboy history, like falling off of a hammock. She was like a, in the centerfold, the woman from Rosemary's Baby, she's like on a hammock and she broke like four ribs or something like in the photo shoot. It was like the worst accident in photo shoot history. And she's like the girl who fell in Rosemary's Baby. She's the first death. And it's in the exact spot where John Lennon's killed on the day for the virgin birth. That movie's about the virgin birth, but like a cathodic version of it or whatever. It's just so freaking weird. Um, (laughs) John Lennon's death day is Jim Morrison's birthday it's like strange days strange days indeed it's so weird yeah that's interesting the whole Paul and Saul thing because another popular conspiracy is the idea that Alex Jones is Bill Hicks or Jonathan Brandis or I'm sorry uh, what's that that's the most optimistic thing (laughs) I've ever considered like if you say that Alex Jones is Bill Hicks and that freaking Andy Kaufman is Donald Trump that would be, like, the ultimate, like, that would be the most hysterical joke of all time. Um, but I can only pray. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. there are a lot of people that would say that we are actually, the reason why a lot of these strange, strange things happen is because we're inside some kind of simulation, maybe, or we're inside a matrix. One of my favorite movies, as I'm sure a lot of listeners would share that opinion, but it could we actually be living inside of a simulation or some type of matrix? 
How is it that the Matrix has Neil's passport as 9-11-2001? That's weird. And not only that does it have that, but right after it shows that to you is when Neo can't speak, when his mouth gets sealed. Oh, that's right. I, I cannot watch that with Mr. Smith and not, and when he was up with this Gestapo crap, and not just see, like, them shouting at the top of their lungs using subliminals that this is what it is. And when I look at the commentary uh, on Zohar, the second section, I can see why if somebody actually had access to that, how that would actually get rationalized. And it's really difficult to convey, and I hesitate to even like say what I just said because it could be really misleading um, in terms of what my ultimate conception of what that means. Um, like, cause it, I, it would sound like I'm condoning somehow, but I'm looking at it from the placement of like artists that know their career, not just their career, their, everything. Like, what, what would happen out of that? Like, and what the value is of somebody seeing something and what it does in their consciousness to see what they saw and to know that on another level. Because like knowledge is innate, you know, and it's like, this is something that because of the way that information is moving, that there's a, like a, a practically exponential component in the variable of telecommunications and all this stuff that's going on, that it's like, we already know that, that this one world government as it's being presented is not a, um, it's not an enduring thing. Like it can't, it can't go on. It has to break down. Like it has to, it cannot, because of it's secondary to the, to the actual organism. You can't have something that's secondary to the organism actually endure. And like, that's the thing. It's like, they're communicating something in the midst. That's like, and that's like subversion within subversion. It's like, I, I see this thing going on where it looks like people are like having to give the impression that they're like going with the program. And really they're like going against, that ultimately like in the midst like it's it's hard to communicate that but i see that going on like i feel like you know that they were well intentioned when they fucking dropped that like they just got everyone to look at 9 11 2001 on the freaking passport combined with like this poetic communication of what the circumstances are it's just it's crazy you know like the text has this whole it's the only place i've ever come across in zohar where there's like a uh, uh something seems to imply secrecy and it's when it's describing the patient's of the world knowing about this this uh, movement and the significance of the, this time that they're pointing to, and so like um, that basically it's uh, it's a curtain gets pulled and it all builds up. So it's like what's our it's like already here even though we don't realize it and it just happens. Like it's like a it's like a fruit that's ripening over a long period of time, but when it drops, it drops like suddenly and it's irreversible. You know, I think consciousness is like that. Philip K. Dick thought consciousness was like that, and I, I resonate with that view. Um, that's the the premise presented like um, with Valis like it's all about um, Mixon actually in the Watergate thing and I'm just like (laughs) isn't it funny that like freaking Comey got uh, he got fired on the anniversary of the first day of the Watergate proceedings like that's weird like (laughs) if you know uh, Phil K. Dick's ideas around synchronicity and the zebra thing which is a lot to get into but this idea of like the duality and the way that that, uh, basically we see the holes in our dualistic projection when there's like these cracks in the perfection of the empire that are demonstrated and that, and that because those are all built on an underlying order that they're mimicking, you can't help but see the order come through in the, in the cracks as things fall apart. Like, how is it that that guy, that that kid climbed the Trump tower, 22 stories, 21 stories, the kid made it 21 stories up the Trump Tower. 
there's 22 cards in the in the uh, of the Arcana in a tarot deck, uh, including the Fool. So he's the Fool. So he's like making up the story. I'm like, that is the most poetic, symbolic, like like that guy who attached the wa- the wire between the two towers that my friend Joe made that film about, like showing how Back to the Future relates to the walk. You know, I don't know if you've seen Back to the Future predicts 911, but you know, no, um, I haven't seen it yet. That, no. Yeah, we, whatever. I mean, we got I think three over three million views on that at this point. It's just crazy. Uh, but you know, it's it's basically like you know, for him to symbolically attach that wire, that Frenchman, to do that. That is as close to, like, uh, the application of the golden bow symbolically, like, poignantly expressed, like, I've ever, like, that you, like, that's crazy. Like, what that action was for him to walk back and forth between the towers, like, that's the the pathway of Tet that I was talking about. That's the ninth uh, arcana. It relates to the ninth gate and the ninth uh, variation of Elohim, you know, when you turn everything over. You got Tet and um, Raish, you know, you got the sun and you got Leo. It's like, that's the strength of the kingdom, and he's he might as well have just pulled the branch off the tree as Fraser Fraser described it um, in Cambridge. You know, it's like that's that's you know as direct as you can possibly get. And the fact that apparently he's unconscious about all of that, and like the significance of uh, that I was saying about the Saudi was not the star issue and all of that, like that's just crazy. Like, how in the hell could that happen? I don't know, but it freaking happened. It's impossible, but true. In in you your know? opinion. In your opinion, how did those towers come down? Was it planes? Was it explosives? Was it something else entirely? Um, I really resonate with uh, Judy Wood's thing, uh, where did the towers go? Because they disintegrated into dust. Um, The 14 survivors from the second story of Building 2 are really weird, like describing light coming in from above. Like, Like, what? Like, how is that possible? You can't have a whole building collapse on you and see light from above and survive like that. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, those buildings disintegrated. Like, it's... <laughs> and, like, even that's like, the the planes, for those types of planes to even be able to do those maneuvers at that altitude, according to pilots who have flown those particular planes, not even, like, those types of planes, but, like, those planes are, like, it's impossible. It's not... It's a fairy tale. It couldn't happen. And so I think it's just... That's what we're seeing now is, like, this playing out of, like, things that we should know better. You can see how big it's, like, the, if people can't accept, like, a lie could be that big, you know, and they want they want to have the conclusion be something that, that's as readily available as possible. And I don't think it's an example of that. I don't think it, it, it really is that easily um, shown. Like, there's, some, there's something really weird going on there. Um, the fact that you can see the way that they... Um, covered the plane with the um, whatever that was. It was an older version of an editing program, and they f- fucked up on the wing. Like you can see the wing go behind the building that it should be in front of. Yeah. Like, and it just you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It doesn't. It can't. Like, and they did that live. Like, and how? Like the day of, how many people were shouting military planes, no windows, black planes? And you're like, oh, we see the footage, we see the plane. No, you know, you're looking at something else. I'm pretty sure. You know, um, you're looking at some real-time uh, manipulation of something, and that is it's, it's very strange. Uh, September Clues was a pretty good uh, documentary. On, I mean, I've seen a million documentaries on 9-11. I like the original Loose Change uh, before it, became, it did what it had an entire, entirely different ending at, at this point. It's not the same film. Um, even, like, same thing with, like, Who Killed the Electric Car. It's like, where's that original version of that? Like, I can't find it anywhere. It's, like, gone. It's like, it's like yeah, you know, 
that's what's sad about, I mean, I don't know if it's done on purpose or what, but a lot of our movies and things that we would love to see now, they get lost because it was on, it was on uh, VHS and they never put it on DVD, or it was on DVD and they never put it on Blu-ray, so it ends up getting completely lost. Right, or they'll change the timing when they digitally remaster things. I was trying to tell my friend Alex Fulton about this with The Visitors. So The Visitor and the ABBA album, The Visitors, there's a whole thing going on. It's, it's a uh, really large component of my film, uh, uh, Sorry Cassandra, uh, Everything Predicts 9-11. There's this whole um, thing going on where it's like, you know, uh, I paired this album in this film. So there's an album called The Visitors that came out shortly after The Visitor. The Visitor was released the day and year of the MGM Grand Fire in Paradise, Nevada. So it's Vegas, this giant Mayan pyramid caught on fire and the alarm system was knocked out, which they said on the news and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's super suspicious, but then there's like this whole relationship to the first biggest fire hotel fire that happened in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where the movie takes place that came out the day and year of the second biggest fire. And it's like the probability for all these doing what they do is just it's fucking out of control. Um, but I had this whole thing where I was like looking at the digital um, it, uh, remastering of the film, and it's like, it's literally, they time-stretched it by like 20 minutes. And I can take the original version, and I can take the new version, and he talks in interviews. This is what my friend got all weirded out about, is that uh, he talks in interviews about scenes that were taken out. And this is the version that includes those scenes. He doesn't say what those scenes are, but you can see when you push them together and then you align it with transparency, you know, you like put 50-50 transparency, you can see that it's this exact same film, just time-stretched. And you would never know because it's so digitally mastered that they were able to cover it up. And I'm like, wow, that's a straight-up lie. I caught that guy in a lie. you know. But that has gone on. That's happened a few times. I found that that happened with the film Napoleon that uh, Kubrick probably wrote. So Kubrick was supposed to do Napoleon, and he went to MGM, and he was asking them if, um, you know, he, sh- he shows them the screenplay, and he gets denied. Four months, and so he leaves MGM over it. Four, within four months of that incident, production begins for a Russian-Italian version of Napoleon. I look up the writer <clears throat> for that movie. His name is Hal Craig, capital H, capital A, capital L, you know, abbreviate, and it's like, and it, this guy, I can't prove his existence. There's no pictures of him anywhere on the internet. I have looked and looked and looked. There's no pictures of any member of his family. So all I could find was an IMDb, a Wikipedia page, and a um, obituary. And I don't think he freaking existed. Um, I'm looking at what the other things that he's done. Like if you, if you, t- so, so he did Waterloo. If you take Abba's album Waterloo and play it with this freaking, whatever it is, 1979, I think, version of, um, of, uh, Waterloo, it's like, it's, it's, it's uncanny. It's like, how the hell? Like, it's, it's crazy. And so, it's, I, it sounds like, Kubrick got a lot of side projects, man, and I really feel like this was one of them. I feel like there's a really strong argument for it. So this guy, the other movie he did was called The Message, and uh, there's 149 hostages, I think was the number, in Washington, D.C., that were taken to stop the release of this film because it was related to the birth of Islam, and it's written by this guy, Hal Craig, that I can't prove his existence. And I'm wondering if this is, like, the thing. It's like if they wanted to, you know, have a cover, you know, like, if it's like where are you going to point your finger and accuse somebody if the person doesn't freaking exist? I don't know. Um, so I wouldn't say that everything Hal Craig did was necessarily Stanley Kubrick, but I would say... Uh, my Occam's razor after everything I've seen in all likelihood 
for Waterloo was written by Napoleon. I mean, it was written by Kubrick, <laughs> who identified with Napoleon. Sorry. Napoleon I'm pretty sure I've seen that. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's, there's there's subtext in that movie that you catch with the Abba thing, so I, I recommend it. Abba's Hebrew for father, by the way. I've gone on this. I mean, it's obviously the band members. It's a, a acronym, uh, it, but the, it's the uh, it has the Hebrew meaning, the significance related to Hochma and the Kabbalistic trees. You have the father and the mother. Bina's the mother. Hochma's the father. Wisdom and understanding, right? Um, so there there's something going on there, big time. With Abba, so if you take Abba's album that they released called Abba the Album which came out the year of this movie, The Message, and you play, if you start Abba's, uh, Abba the album at the second that The Message begins, uh, they'll end, uh, it'll, go, it'll do four rounds to the second. So where, when, when it fades out, you're actually looking at the bars of the film and you align the album, they land on top of each other completely. Oh, wow. And so, and so I'm just, yeah, that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of examples of that. So like if you take uh, the film Private Lessons, which is kind of like a erotic uh, 70s movie. Um, uh, if you take that and you play it with Hotel California, if you start Hotel California, the second that Private Lessons begins, it'll loop through twice and it'll end on the second. Uh, the same thing is true if you take uh, Olivia Newton-John's album Physical, the Let's Get Physical is on, uh, and you play it with The Heretic, the Exorcist 2, so Exercise, Exorcist, Physical. If you take, if you take that album, it's the same thing. It's two rounds to the second. From the moment that the film starts to the moment that the film ends, uh, the the two films, um, uh, uh, Under the Skin um, and Ex Machina, uh, Under the Skin with uh, Scarlett Johansson and the film Ex Machina, those two films, if you start them on the exact second, will cut black to to the credits at the exact same split second, which is just unbelievable. I don't know how that you know. This is the thing I'm going to say a lot if I'm having this kind of conversation. It's like. I don't know how this happens, but it does. So, uh. now, <laughs> Alistair Crowley, Crowley must have been really, he must have really understood this. It, it's my understanding. I know I read it somewhere that he actually went through and he he learned the entire Hebrew language or something like that, so he could understand this stuff. Is that true? Well, uh, Crowley's not relating to the Hebrew language in the same way. So it's like uh, there's that old Gnostic story where, you know, Jesus has the teacher and he asks, uh, the teacher is saying, okay, this is Olive, this is bait. And then Jesus is like, wait, 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 what is it? What is Olive? And he's like, what do you mean, what is it? It's the first letter. He's like, well, what does it mean? And it's like, Crowley's kind of like that. He's like, he's, he doesn't really know Hebrew, but he knows the letters and their, and their meanings pictographically and mathematically. And so then then he's, you know, he has he has a certain working knowledge, but he's he's not uh, Jewish. (laughs) So he's 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 just not he's immersed in the material, but in a a different way. And so um, same with Israel Regarde, same with Paul Foster Case, same with a lot of these people. I mean, Hebrew wasn't a spoken language until, you know, it didn't start until the Reformation, which was really recently. Um, So like people didn't like speak. Hebrew other than in the context of religious text and, you know, uh, various, um, you know, different, different types of text that was related to biblical material, whether it's the Talmud or the, you know, uh, the Mishnah or whatever, you know, these are all, um, yeah. 
so, but yeah, the thing with Crowley is that he's heavily involved. In, he was heavily involved in espionage, and so Crowley was really the one of the main masterminds behind getting the U.S. and Britain involved in uh, World War One with the sinking of the Lusitania. And there's a really great empirical book called um, Secret Agent Six 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 that demonstrates that. And the guy was just looking at disclosed. Um, documents having to do with the false flag event of the Lusitania, and he kept on coming up against his name, Crowley. And this guy who wrote this book did not have a, uh, much knowledge around like what Crowley had really done. And so what I did, and I haven't heard anyone else point out yet, but uh, if you do a thing and you, you take that book, uh, Secret Agent 666, and you compare where he's going for espionage, it corresponds uh, exactly with Alistair Crowley's autohagiography called uh, Confessions of Aleister Crowley. So if you go through there, you can if you go to the trouble, you can see that places where he's going for magical working are directly related to places that he's going for espionage. But what I take to be the significant thing there is that it's actually it's actually true. Like he doesn't distinguish between these two things. Like they are more than just related. They are actually the same thing. So he's not he's actually telling you what's going on. But it's so fucking out there that like most people would never be able to accept it because of cognitive dissonance. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. It does seem like in a lot of these tales of where Crowley is going and what he's doing, uh, some of them sound almost nonsensical. Not that I would really be able to interpret all of those magical secrets and things like that, but I could definitely see that. Maybe he was in that time and place for a totally different reason. He would purposely do things. He would include things that would make the um, make the working non-functional, so that the only people who could actually utilize something, according to him, who knows if this is true, but according to him, he would do this, uh, admittedly, in order to basically make it so that the only people who are going to be able to utilize it are people that actually see where the incoherency lies, and thus it'll be used in a different in a different way, and so. I don't consider Aleister Crowley like evil necessarily. I see him as constantly looking way further ahead to like what will the ultimate result be in the in the long run of these events happening. Like he's more like sacrifice, acknowledging sacrifice. Um, that's like the um, what is it? Uh, CRM one one four thing that Kubrick always uses. You know, or not always, but in Doctor Strangelove and. Uh, Clockwork Orange and stuff. He's got this whole thing with CRM, but Charum, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's Chet Reish Mem, I believe, uh, is a necessary sacrifice. Like it's a, it's a principle that's related to in Kabbalah, uh, certain times where they're, they're like Tishvav would be an example of a necessary sacrifice, which would be related to this word. And so if you add up the 114 that Kubrick has added to it, so it's the bomb code in Doctor Strangelove. So, like, it says CRM-114. It also shows up in Back to the Future in the first one when he blows the speaker at the beginning. He's got CRM-114 uh, written on the thing when he's going and he's flicking all the switches, which is uh, homage to the switches being flipped in Dr. Strangelove. Um, but uh, if you add up the, the 114, oh, how does that work? Oh, it's, it's a burden. And so I was like, oh, is it a burden to know of the necessary sacrifice? In Hebrew, the word for a burden is the same grammatical value if you add the 114 to the grammatical value of CRM. And so it's like, I don't know. It's a, it's a speculative thing, but there's all, there's that probability when you're, when you're looking at Gamatria, man. It's like, there's really, 
interesting, weird things that'll be affirmed, and especially dealing with like opposites and stuff. Like in the throughout the Torah, you'll have jokes, like hysterical jokes. Like the the Colin was talking about that. He said humor. Right? Uh, what was it? What was it? What's the language of nature or whatever? The language of God? I can't remember what he said. The language of the universe? Can't remember. Um, but yeah, no, it's the idea that like, you know, like you got Moses goes up Sinai and gets the, gets the Ten Commandments, but they're not, the first time, they're not like called commandments. Like they don't even really specify like what it is. Just like this event where it's like the hand of God and this whole thing happens. And then he comes down and he sees the people with the calf and he breaks whatever that was. And then he goes back up. But like, if you read that in Hebrew, which I've done with, you know, I've, I've, with my teacher, we've gone through, uh, good sections of the, of the Torah. And it's like, you know, he, when he goes back up, it adds that he wrote it himself. And it's like, I went to all this trouble the first time to demonstrate that this is coming. This is a reception from God. And then it's like, so, and he's writing it while he's pissed. So he's like upset at all these people for not jumping up to the, you know, he's like, I just liberated you and here you are indulging in the same old bullshit and we should be moving forward so and as as a traditional view in judaism is that genesis exodus Leviticus, numbers and deuteronomy i guess is is written by moses and so it's like not only is it supposed to be written by moses but it's supposed to be what he received on sinai and so it's like are are you saying that he wrote this text out of anger and that this is the response the whole thing the torah is a response to the people with the calf because that's sure what it freaking looks like when you read it in Hebrew. I'm like, that is a, the most hysterical, insane joke I've ever heard. You know, like, I'm like, how? It... <laughs> you know? And there's like, another great classic movie, that, that original uh, Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston. It was just so well sure. done. Yeah, I loved it. I just I just saw Roger Waters play. So I found this new Roger Waters sync, and it blew my mind. Uh, if you take Roger Waters' new album and you play it with the Art of the Deal movie, where um, Johnny Depp plays Donald Trump, it's a, a hysterical film in the first place. I think it's the first film produced by Funny or Die. And if you take the album and you play it with the film, it's it's really crazy. It's really incredible. And then like right after I put it together, um, I sent it to Andrea Galler, by by the way. Um, uh, uh, the costume designer for uh, with Nail and I, and uh, a woman I, I met recently in London, who uh, she just blew me away. She's very close with um, uh, David Gilmore. She grew up with him, and uh, she has this whole history with Sid Barrett and all this stuff. Was, whatever, that's a side topic. But uh, <laughs> I sent it to her, and so she uh, she forwarded it to some people. I don't I don't know what will end up happening with it ultimately. But what was weird is like right after I did that. I got a message from a friend saying, hey, I got a free ticket to go see Roger Waters perform in Oakland. And so I, I went out there and saw Roger Waters do his thing. And, uh, you know, it was just ripping into Trump, but in an intelligent way. I don't like divisiveness. I don't like people just attacking somebody without anything behind it. But I really appreciated Roger Waters' performance uh, in terms of, like, the quotes that he's using from the – it's just – I don't know. He's he's got a good satirical sense of humor, to say the least. He's got a very very uh, dark sarcasm uh, awareness, you know. Um, how do you so, feel uh, about how do you feel about uh, you know since we're talking about Sid Barrett, how do you feel about drugs like LSD? Uh, what, what I've noticed is I seem to notice things like synchronicities and stuff like that more when I'm tripping. Would would you say that that's true? Sure, I would say that there's something to do with the neurological connections of everything that's in place, and we tend to exist within, with certain assumptions about the paradigm that we're relating to, and I think we often don't realize just how malleable our consciousness really is and what that means 
ultimately. And so, like, speaking of a matrix, it's kind of like the consensus agreement that's unspoken in a way that we kind of all have at the root there. And so, uh, but it's topical. We relate to what's topical as though it were the core. And it's, it's, we have a backwards way of relating. And so psychedelics can be an aid to that. But I mean, speaking of Sid Barrett, that's a context thing. Like Sid Barrett accidentally took a shot glass of LSD that was sitting on the counter at the Pink Floyd house, you know, and they didn't know what to do with them. And they, um, they stuck them under the stairs in a, in a room for the night because they just didn't know, um, how to handle it. Uh, and it, it supposedly it's just, it was a genuine accident. Like he, he saw the shot glass, he took the shot, must have been a thousand hits or something, and he was never quite the same after that. I mean, he just stopped picking them up for practice. And there's a lot of mythology surrounding the situation, but that's the one that I've, I, I've seen a lot of what appears to be confirmation on. And so, um, I think it's in all likelihood that that's what went down there. Um, but you know, every, every, everything in moderation, I guess, to an extent, you know, even moderation sometimes, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think entheogens are, uh, can be really helpful. It's actually like, that was a thing like in the yoga sutras that my, uh, teacher used to point out, uh, Baba Hari Das, uh, was, he was Ram Das's teacher. So I went to India with what was Ram Das's teacher, not his guru, not on Karoli Baba, but, uh, my, my teacher wrote on a board for like, at this point, I don't know what it's been, probably 70 years. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he hasn't spoken in like 70 years. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, uh, he would emphasize the point that, uh, uh, plant medicine was communicated in the yoga sutras of Patanjali as being an aid to at least the lower levels of samadhi to establish oneself in samadhi, uh, that that was, uh, one of the three main, uh, aids. The other is, uh, uh, music. And, uh, ohm. So you have, you know, recognition of the, of the primordial vibration, but that, um, music has a component of getting you, allowing you to let the physical take care of itself so you can go to other places in the midst. Um, like, that's why I was saying about, like, if you make something conscious that was unconscious, uh, and then, you know, you then, you can, you can allow yourself to go to other, um, other places you wouldn't normally be able to access if something that usually would take up your, your your conscious focus is no longer needing it because you've then shifted your focus to another level, if that makes sense. So it's like if you look at uh, what goes on uh, with ayahuasca ceremony through Santa Daime in particular, when they do these like steps, well, they're literally like they'll rotate in this room with all these people. They'll form a giant hexagram and they'll rotate around a center post, you know, um, which is also like reminiscent of like what Rumi did and stuff, you know, but it's like the whole point, the whole idea is that the physical will take care of itself. If you do these steps physically, it's like line dancing almost that, okay, we're like generating something together. It's like we're in a spaceship and it's like, it's going to steer itself and then we can go to other places because you'd want to know like what to do with your body. So you let your body do the steps. And then you're, you're not having to give your attention to that anymore after a certain point once that gets established. Do you see what I'm communicating? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I live in Washington. Pot's legal here, but I, I got a ritual like a lot of other people where uh, when, I'm, when I'm smoking a bowl, I actually eat it. I don't smoke anymore. But with my ritual, I always listen to music right away. That's, that's kind of what I do. I like to listen to music and, and smoke pot or eat it and then just kind of go to another place. Sure, sure. Well, there's, you know, there's different kinds of going to other places, right? So there's like, uh, the, like, you can, uh, check, check out. I mean, 
mysticism really like uh at least uh was it uh Colin Wilson who did the outsider he in that book he he uh gives this whole analysis i i i don't find his etymology elsewhere but he has this whole thing that like mysticism means to shut the eyes etymologically i guess from some source but uh either way his explanation of that in that book makes a lot of sense that basically like if you're on a train and you're looking at paying attention to the buildings or whatever in the trees and things as they pass by and when your mind will then shift to another place and it's still in front of you and you're still seeing what you're seeing but you it's not you're not giving all your attention to it so he was basically pointing out that it's like it's that same principle but brought to another level so it's like when something takes care of itself like we're giving our thought all of our focus but it's like there's other levels to what it means to to reason like we think reason is just like this very left brain conceptual compartmentalization and you know um i guess you could say that mysticism acknowledges that there's another level uh, even like maturity like what we we settle for a level of maturity we're like okay now we we we've made it so it's like you know once you go through certain things we relate that that's the that that's the initiation right or whatever like what puberty is what like developmentally like we go through our lives we're like okay now we're this now you're an adult and it's like no you know there's actually other levels of maturity it's just like this is just what the consensus relates to it's like in the um uh what is it the dsm the book with all the different dysfunctions for psychology you know it's like they say on the front page or whatever they're like if enough people exude any dysfunction that's mentioned in this book or anything, if they ex- enough people, excuse me, if enough people exude a dysfunction, it's not a dysfunction because it's a consensus agreement. If there's any one place where we see democracy by the definition of the word, it's in uh, psychology and what's considered sane. Because if enough people agree this is sane, this is insane, that's what it becomes. And it is through consensus agreement that that becomes the case. It's enforced through the the mass um, slant, which I find really bizarre, but how could it be any other way? <laughs> David, do you believe in telepathy? Uh, yeah, I do, but I I feel like that's we're more telepathic than we can generally recognize, and so that's why like when you're twenty, that's very relatable to your twenty twelve question, because I don't think that like. This is necessarily like something that's like, like this is something that's been in the midst of our experience the whole time. We've been telepathic, but it almost takes that reflection of us externalizing the communication so that like what telecommunications is for me to instantaneously be able to talk to somebody on the other side of the world or to even communicate like through a meme, like the meaning of something like without language even like to be able to do that. So like in a lightning flash, like, that is a communication as a, like a, um, a representation of something that's already at place in my, in my, in my feeling. And so it's like, I don't see it as much of a, um, as something that's really taking place as it is something that's being revealed or uncovered. And, uh, that's, that's, prof- that's a profound thing, but it's like, I, I don't, you know, I don't think we should, we should fall short as much as we do. Like we're re- we really settle for like when it comes to our conclusions, you know, really quick. People are generally really quick to just like pick a poll and to be like, okay, this is <laughs> whatever it is. Like, I think like I look at what's going on in the world. I'm like people fighting over fucking bathrooms or whatever. And like what all is happening with the sexes and like all these different takes. I'm like, it's just 
by basically being confronted with this dualistic lens that we just so rarely like question in any serious way. And like, you can't go on like that forever. Like if you never question duality, things are going to start to show themselves. Like what is the nature of what we're actually existing within? And so I look at what's happening with Donald Trump and I just see like, yes, he is that archetype of the fool, the outsider that would challenge the, the king and marry the king's daughter and rejuvenate the whole thing. But because it's been restrained for so long, this thing that was supposed to happen so long ago and hasn't been allowed to, that they like, they don't, because the powers that be have been resisting it so heavily, we just end up with this deformed version of it, which isn't really it. It's just like this twisted, manipulated, like, you know, it's just masquerading as though it were the actual thing. So we're like, here it comes, we're getting it, you know, it's like, that's, that's so weird. Like, if you look into any of these assassinations, you know, like, not any of them, but, like, Martin Luther King, like, Mahatma Gandhi, like, sorry to say, but, like, John Lennon, whatever, like, you look at these things, and, like, it's like, they have all these components of this archetype of the fool that would challenge, that would be, like, the people's representative, you know, and it's like, where... Uh, we were, we're, he doesn't fill the qualifications that are described in the Golden Bough, Mr. Mr. Trump, you know, he's like, uh, but he's supposed to, like, it's like, he's supposed to be not a political guy, you know, he's, but he's, he's, there is no outsider, like, Alf would be an outsider, like, I'm serious, like, Alf, the character from the show, like, that's, like, Alf spelled out, it's Aleph spelled out, so Aleph Lamed Pei equals 111. He's the he's the outsider. Like that was such a Jewish, oh, wow. brilliant show. Like because he's you know everyone's trying to tell Alf you know how to why he needs to fit in. He's describing like oh on Melmac <laughs> when somebody dies we celebrate it. We put out, you know we put out the balloons or whatever. It's like we like have to explain to Alf no Alf like this is a this is the way things are here. And it's like it's just because it's a joke because there where are you going to find that outsider now? There is no outside. All and all the lines are in. the freaking sand at this point you know it's like they're not real lines and so of course someone's going to come forward and be like we got to build a wall because that's like the the ultimate like as, as consolidated like what the issue is like that's why pink floyd the wall like for real like this we, we're like how it's like a final plea or maybe not final who knows but it's like this like demand that like yes these divisions are real like, of the, what the left brain does, like this compulsion of Gavora, it's like, we're going to prove it by building it and making it, and you'll see, you know, and it's like, no amount of that is ever going to prove the, <laughs> you can't do that by force, you can't prove something that doesn't have ultimate meaning true through, you know, by uh, making that representation as big and as powerful as possible. And so that's why the thing with the Zohar I find is so interesting, they're describing Gavora uh, basically ac- accumulating, building itself up so that it thinks that it can, you know, it's going to go try and get the other side. So it's like the left brain literally thinks it's going to conquer the right brain. If you want to put the issue that's what's happening in consciousness, like in a nutshell, that's the best I think you could say it. It's like it wants, it thinks that it, it can have the upper hand um, and that if it gets strong enough that it can do it. So, of course, we're going to see examples of like where it's like literally taken like, like, in physical form, we're going to make this real. Like, that's what the two towers were. Like, it was like, we're going to, if we do, if we build this up big enough and we do this thing, it'll, it'll actualize it. And it, this, the crazy thing is that if, if, if it's not foundational, it can't. So, like, I take Aleister Crowley's Love is the Law, Love Under Will. 
that that is actually like one of the most profound. So this is the most profound thing he ever he ever said, pretty much, and he said a lot. I read a lot, you know. But it's like that premise is like like love is the law. The thing that's under is is the is the law. But like people think that if something's under something, we assume that it's not that it's what's on top is in control, and it's a dominance thing, and it's our it relates directly to our projection of what strength means, like what it means to be strong. And so I'm like, you know, uh, how can how can something that's built on something else that's relying upon something else think that it's in true power? That's the joke of the pyramid and the the eye above the pyramid. It's like you're relying on all of this that's below you in order to have what you, what you have. And so there's a, a misconception that exists in terms of what constitutes strength. And so, like, I think that that's the real breakdown of what's happening with duality and consciousness in the planet is just like coming to recognize it's like the the moral of the back to the future uh saga like that's what happens with marty he's always being called chicken and then he's like got to prove himself that he's not a fucking chicken and so it's like israel or it's like america you know we're like okay we're going to demonstrate just how brave we fucking are and it's like every time he does that it's an aversion to his in- own integrity like he's not actually like you know he's he's being weak by trying to be by thinking that in order to prove himself to the others that that's somehow going to make him strong. And so, like, in the Back to the Future 3, when he flips the truck around and he doesn't race freaking flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers or needles or whatever, <laughs> that's, that's like, that's totally it. That's like, he's like, you know, he's recognized that it's like just complete. that's the hangman. He's like, just fucking flip it. Flip it for real. You know, see what happens, you know? Yeah, that's, like, wow, look that's at that. really deep. Yeah, strength is the main thing. That's why I'd say like the arcana of strength, like that is like the the what what um, the pathway between the tops of the terrestrial pillars. That's like this. You're looking at the strength of the kingdom, and it's it's very significant because that's what links the seven 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 lightning flash through the pillar for Sirius. There's this whole thing going on. That's the that's the stone that's been rejected and replaced by something else. But that thing that's replaced it, it has a shelf life. And so you you can only keep it for so for so long before because it's it's just it's the nature of the thing is to reconcile itself. It's like um, we we heal like if, uh, and if we reach a certain point and we have to disintegrate all the way, there's an intelligence behind us that allows that to happen, and then everything gets redistributed. Like do you know what I'm saying? Like it's like you know your body has this intelligence. All organic life has this intelligence behind it, and we relate to this secondary intelligence. And we put our trust into it as though it were the actual governing organic intelligence behind the matter, you know. And it's like that can that it can only come so close, you know. It's it's going to ultimately fall short, and so there, it, it, this breakdown has to happen. And so yeah, like it's it of course it's going to express itself in the most our our um, archetypally acute way possible. And so of course, like we're like you know what's what's happening politically. It's like. Red, blue, Chesed Gavora, Democrat, Republican, like the way, like in America, like the way that the duality is expressed, it's so pronounced, it's crazy. How about you know? how about the whole Pizzagate thing? These allegations about these people uh, being involved with children, all of that. Uh, what do you think about that whole thing? Is that some kind of odd synchronicity? Could there be truth there, or is it just all bullshit? What do you think of that? Well, I looked at it, quite a bit of that stuff as it was emerging, you know, and I, um, I, I, uh, I mean, 
that's a that's a larger conversation. I do feel that there is some extreme high weirdness going on with, with what people are up to, and it's really crazy how like both sides are like pointing their finger and being like, "Look what you're doing." And it's like, "Well, look what you're fucking doing." And it's like, dude, you're both doing fucked up stuff. <laughs> it's like America trying to tell anybody what they're doing wrong, and it's like, "Look at what you're doing." Everyone's fucking hypocrites everywhere, um, and so you know. But like, I don't know. I saw um, uh, what's her name. Um, uh, God, I don't know why I'm spacing on it. I, I saw the, um, in Sweden, um, God, she's the woman that everyone, Maria Abramovich. So everyone was pointing at her as being like the whole, um, uh, where they were drawing blood and writing on the walls and doing this kind of stuff, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, I really enjoyed her exhibit. I thought it was really dark and fucked up or whatever, and I can see what the appeal is to some of these people. I'm like, you know what? She's like freaking, I don't know this for sure, but like with the sense that I got is she remind me of like a lot of Yoko Ono in terms of performance art stuff. And then I saw like, it was almost like Jodorowsky and Yoko Ono like came together and like did something. It was like, I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed it. And then I can look at like, well, the way that Podesta or whatever is going to be relating to this shit is like his own fucking thing, you know? It may, that's the thing about art. It can mean whatever it wants to mean for it, all kinds of people. Like, I don't think that, it, like, yes, people coordinate. Yes, there are conspiracies. Yes, people are in cahoots, no doubt. And at the same time, I don't always just assume that everyone's on the same page. Like, I know, like, I can talk about mystery schools utilizing the same text, this kind of thing, but there's a lot of discrepancy on, like, the vision of where we're headed or what's wanted, you know? Like, I, I could mention in Lucis trust, you know, like, generally speaking, I think that their intentions were probably good. The people who helped establish the UN and have that, like, mimicking King's Chambers thing inside with the beam of light that they meditate on and all this stuff, you know. I was talking to a woman about it who actually worked at the UN coming back from Sweden recently, and uh, she's like, oh, I always wondered what that was about, you know, and I'm like, you know, I don't know. It seems, it se- it doesn't seem that diabolical to me, but not to say that, you know, there isn't fucked up diabolical shit going on. So, like, are they ordering pizzas that, you know, that would sure explain, like, if their pizzas are like a prostitution thing, and they say, hey, this is the pizza I want, and they send the thing. I, there's very suspicious things in those emails, no doubt, relating to pizza that didn't make any sense. And it's like, I see them getting shut down, and they say fake news and this and that. Well, you know what? Before you fucking just tell all the independent researchers to shut down their Reddit shit and all this stuff, can you give any explanation for what the hell they're talking about if it's not? Because you can see that it's not what they're saying. So what is? What are they saying? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's real arguments there, and I, I just, I don't know. I, 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 not to, you know, take a take a position and be like, you know, but like, I never got to see Robert Kennedy speak in my lifetime because I'm too young. You know, I'm 36 or whatever. But like, I got the idea of like that he was somebody that actually like really like from my from my understanding for the most part he actually spoke for people like in a really direct way for lower classes and all kinds of stuff you know talking you know and like Bernie Sanders like when I first heard him speak long before he ever announced that he was running for president I was really impressed by him and I I really couldn't believe that somebody was getting away with saying some of that stuff you know um, from Vermont the, what he was doing and. Um, when I found out he was running, I was just like, holy shit, you got to be kidding me. That guy is running for president? Give me a break. And, like, I went to try and see him here, you know, in, in Santa Cruz where I'm from, and it was, like, a two-mile line, like, outside of the arena that's filled. And I'm like, my God, like, this is huge. And I'm like, you know what? Hillary wasn't getting that. 
She wasn't getting those type of crowds. She had fucking Jay-Z and whatever, you know, showing up for her big event at the end. It was an empty space. I saw the camera people trying to figure out how to navigate that a free event was like less than a quarter full, (laughs) like an auditorium. It was like they could see Jay-Z for free and they don't even want to go. And it's like, you know, when it, when the polls first started, there was like Harvard polls that went up and it was like on the news. Like, and I took screenshots because I was like, okay, they say these are the results. I go to the Harvard website. I cross analyze them. I see that they flipped the results. They did it repeatedly. They literally, every news station, Fox, CNN, all of them, they had Bernie and Hillary's results flipped. And you could see it. All you had to do was go to the Harvard website and you could see it. There was no question that that was what was happening. And uh, I was like, wow, that is a bold-faced lie. And so I'm just like, you know what? Uh, Bernie got freaking cheated. He probably knew it from the beginning, but he went along with it anyway because he's just like, oh, you're giving me the opportunity to say this shit into a microphone for this many people, and then you're going to have me drop out? Fuck it. You know, I'll pro- I already just got threatened. I don't know. Um, yeah, but- he did kind of bow out a little bit too peacefully. I mean, if it was me, I would have been getting behind a microphone and just raging. I think it was understood that that was what he was supposed to do and that that's the way that things were most likely set up. And it was just like, you're here to just fucking sheepdog it. And he was like, all right, well, it's better than nothing because people know what's what. And, uh, you know, I think he had some, some other idea in mind. You know, he knew that, he, that they wouldn't allow for him to do that. But at the same time, there's not a complete control there from, those, from the elite, like all of those people. Like, it's very flimsy. Like, if you, like, talking about, like, JFK and shit, 9-11, if you look into that stuff deeply enough, like, the conspiratorial side of shit, really seriously, like, investigate it in a real way, not just, like, YouTube education, but you look at that shit, you see how, like, fragile the whole thing is. Like, you're like, dude, they barely made it by the fucking skin of their teeth. And they just scrambled to do whatever they could do. Like, 9-11, oh, yeah, we found the fucking passport. (laughs) Okay, you can't find a black box, but you found the... Give me a fucking break! But it's like... That is a very positive thing to acknowledge that, like, okay, you the, the most outlandish conspiracy theory I've ever heard with 9-11 is the official story. That is so ridiculous. Yeah, a box cutter. Uh-huh. Yeah, keep going. You know, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, like, I look at all this stuff, I'm like, how many times are they going to use the same formulas? Like, like I look at, you know, um, Sandy Hook or a lot of these events, and it's like, yeah, the, the alternative media jumps on it, and they say, this is what we think. Crisis actors, nothing but, but, but fakery and all this stuff. I'm like, you know what? I never put past these people that they're not willing to fucking kill or do whatever it is that they need to yeah, do. Yeah, and there was order- that Batman movie. that Did you see that with Sandy Hook? They pulled out a map. I think it was the third one. Sure, it's in my film, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I have a whole thing around that and how that relates to Saudi is not the star thing because Saudi is a fish hook. And so, yeah, and then the, the, that was in the Batman movie with Adam West, who just died the other day, right? Uh, you know, they're like, they have the Skull and Bones poster and their portrait of the, the uh, Skull and Bones founder or whatever. And he's like, oh, I heard that Bruce Wayne was tapped for Skull and Bones. And the, uh, the uh, grandmother or whatever is like, tapped for? Sir, he founded Skull and Bones. <laughs> Bruce Wayne's grandfather, yeah, heard that he was tapped for Skull and Bones. He's like, oh, and so, like, you're like, Watch the new Batman. It's like, you know, in the stadium part with the football players or whatever, when there's that big explosion and the whole field falls apart and like zooms in on that window with the guys overseeing the uh, the game and it says 322 right there. The number of skull and bones is just like, oh God, how could that be? And it's like, yeah, that it's it's uh, Sandy Hook is on the is on the um, 
the map, you know. And then you could try and argue, people try to argue, oh, yeah, well, it's supposed to be New York, and there's a New York, there's a Sandy Hook in New York. There's no other names on the map relating to New York. So what the heck, you know. Um, Gotham City, you know, happens that they have that. And the way that they did that, like, you know, it's just weird the way he puts his hand on that paper. It's hard not to, you know, feel that that's what's going on there. But, yeah, of course, there's subliminals all, all over the place. And, uh, you know, there, there's very suspicious elements, especially if you watch that presentation that, that James Holmes did, like, uh, when he got that grant to study how to manipulate people's sense of time. So, like, James Holmes, the shooter, like, you know, got a, a huge grant. So, and, the, and his teacher that he names, Mr. whatever, Jacobson or whatever his name is, um, he had ties to an umbrella project of MK Ultra. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that does MK Ultra had a lot of different umbrella projects. Like even like a course in miracles and shit was MK Ultra related. Ultimately, like the guy who was helping the woman. I met a woman who actually was a professor at Berkeley, and I met her in the desert. My my friend had a, a grandmother. A community of grandmothers that built mud huts in the desert, and I went out and I stayed there. And one of them uh, was very close with the woman who wrote um, a course in miracles, which was supposed to be a channeled book to help people reconcile Christian fundamentalism and stuff. Uh, but yeah, she was like, you know, the woman wrote this, but she hated it the whole time. She's like, where is this even coming from? And it was like, you know, it's this guy. It's this guy that has crazy ties to MKUltra and shit. But like, that's the thing. It's like, even you say CIA or whatever, I don't feel that like necessarily that everybody in the CIA was ill-intented. Like, it's just assumed that all these are evil sons of bitches because there's people doing really fucked up stuff. But there's a lot of different side projects that don't always get acknowledged that you've got to wonder if they, they actually had some, some um, other rationale behind them than just to do terror. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to imagine completely evil people. I mean, I'm sure there are some to an extent. But, uh, you, you know, not everyone's uh, people aren't on the same page. There's a lot of discord. There's discord within Freemasonry, not just between, like, Scottish Rite Freemasonry and elsewhere, but, like, across, like, within any particular lodge, there's all kinds of discrepancies around not just what things mean, but what the intentions are. And so, like, Freemasonry is supposed to be like, we're going to enlighten humanity. Like, this is our aim. Like, it's supposed to be a very well-intentioned thing. And so, you know, I think that that's really how it works, is you get enough people with enough integrity behind them, and then you, you manipulate, people manipulate the fuck out of them because they're so, you know, they really want the best. And so then that's really misleading, because then you're going to point your finger at Freemasonry and say, you people are fucking doing this and that, and, like, so many Freemasons are like, what? No, I just, you know, we build our own houses, and we build your government buildings and stuff, you know? We, we, they, they're not bad people, you know? It's like, but that doesn't mean that in the midst, they're, you know, it's like, that's the, the best way to go about it. I mean, as I, should, I shouldn't say best way as if that was a good thing, but I just mean from the perspective of people who are looking to manipulate, I mean, that's, you get the most well-intentioned people you can to not know that there are part, that there's other things that they're contributing to that they're not even aware of, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I did want to ask this question. I, I like to save this one for the end because it's my favorite. Now, David, do you believe, is it possible that we are in an end-of-day scenario or some some type of revelation scenario? Yeah, I would say we, we, we always are. That's like, you know, um, it's, just, it's weird. Like, I'm talking about this text you know, that I'm looking at commentary from the, from the early 16th century from these people. And they're considering the end times, right? They're looking for the, the Jubilee, the real, the big Jubilee, 
where like all debt is forgiven and all slaves are released and this kind of thing, you know. And they're like, surely we've reached the end of it. How could it get any more extreme than it is now? And that's like what they're arguing. You're like, oh my God, I'm reading something from the early 16th century of them feeling like surely this is at hand, you know. And then, you know, it's just like, <laughs> so I look at that and I'm like, okay, well, I really feel like it couldn't possibly get any more pronounced than this in terms of the uh, the zenith of the thing, you know, the crescendo of what we're experiencing. But I'm like, you know, the future is uncertain and the end is always near. And uh, every, every time something ends, something else comes forward. And I'm open to the possibility that that, that what really what I feel like is happening and what I've, what I've extrapolated from the text that I've looked at is that we're actually pushing out the next species and that it shouldn't have to be a painful process, but because of our compulsions and the way that we're oriented and the fact that everything has been leaning to the left in the way that it has um, in terms of consciousness. I don't want that to be taken as a political thing. I'm saying the left, I'm talking about left brain, left hemisphere, like everything is emphasized that, that like, you know, that ba- basically because we've done it in that way, it, 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 pushes for this to be a painful process, unfortunately. So it's like what would be called the bitter judgments. Like the judgments don't have to be bitter, but because there's so much greed and there's so much going on and there's just this tendency for us to be so fixated on this one side um, and not acknowledge the other that, you know, um, that this is literally like that, that that pathway between Gavor and Chesed of strength that I'm talking about, like Oz, like the strength of the kingdom, like that is like a birth canal. And like, that's how, the, that's how Zohar describes that position there, that we're literally like, we're pushing out this thing. And we can't know in advance necessarily what that's going to look like. Like the dinosaurs couldn't have predicted us. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to predict what that's going to be and what time frame involves. We just want things to happen in our lifetime because that's really exciting, you know? And it's like, you know, as if our lifetime wasn't like the whole of the thing, which it really is. You know, we're just aspects of this much larger organism. And, uh, you know, um, I shouldn't say just like that downplays what we are. But, uh, you know, we're, we are facets of this uh, undernetting of existence. You know, we're all c- connected, not in any conceptual way, but like in a direct, profound way. And so the idea of an end I don't even necessarily believe in. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, with the bookends of this, like, there's no point where we end and our environment begins. Like, when we die, when just as when we're born, there's really no point where you can actually say, okay, here's the end of the of the thing. Like, it doesn't, it disperses, it transmutes, it, it transforms. Like, okay, so, <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I got for that. All right, awesome. Uh, I, I wanted to go ahead, since we're approaching the end of the interview, or we're at the end, I wanted to go ahead and just open things up and let you have the floor. If you want to get on the soapbox and just say uh, one one more thing, or if you'd like to uh, t- talk to uh, my listeners just one more time, feel free to do that. And then and then also follow that up with any plugs that you might have, anything that you want to promote, any upcoming talks or anything like that. Uh, the floor is completely yours as of now, David. Um, I'm I'm really excited about some of the things that uh, my community has been producing. So I'm a contributor at uh, thethinkbook.com. And we've done, you know, we've published books. We got, uh, you know, multiple radio shows. Uh, my, my videos, I'm really stoked that I have a place with a platform to be able to share that stuff. So like, you know, like I, I like to communicate verbally and share all these things that I'm tripping out on and all this stuff. But like, I don't know. I feel like 
art is a really poetic, direct way. I like to communicate non-verbally as well. And so that stuff is available there and, and not just for me, but from all over the place. I think people are doing really, really uh, interesting things right now. Um, and so the, the, obviously like when you put this, uh, interview up, I assume you're going to have, um, you know, links to, uh, my work and, and whatnot. Um, if, if somebody wants to, um, look me up and ask me for, uh, what I have in longhand, or if you want to, you know, uh, me to let somebody know, like when my, um, the text is, is finally typed, typed out in type form, I have some of it typed out. Um, if you're, if you're interested in the, um, 9-11 Zohar prophecy stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess I, I, more than anything, I'd just like to plug my films and my magnum opus called Sorry Cassandra, I Misunderstood Everything Predicts 9-11. And, uh, hope that, that people who are open-minded, um, uh, check it out and kind of like see where I go with it. Cause I go on some extreme, what would appear as extreme tangents, but I promise they all home back and actually deliver a, a much deeper message. So, um, Yeah. <laughs> All right, awesome. I, I feel like we could have gone another nine hours, but unfortunately, I'm starting to get a little bit hungry and I got to use the bathroom. But I'd, I'd really like to do this again someday. Oh, sure, I'm into it, man. This is really a great talk. I, I appreciate your um, your line of of uh, inquiry. Uh, this is a really uh, fun dialogue to have. I'm I'm glad you made a, a good night for me. I appreciate it. Okay, awesome. And until then, you have a good night, my friend. You too, sir. And there you have it. That was David Charles Plate. Oh my God, what an outstanding interview. Uh, I'm, I might have just set a new record, or at least a new personal record for length of interview at least. I usually don't go that long, but the information was good, and it stayed really intriguing and entertaining the whole way through, even though, like I said, I really need to eat something and use the bathroom. I was hanging in there. I was being a soldier, but I couldn't push it anymore. Uh, as you guys know, this is when we do our break. This is when we take a short 10, 15-minute break. But right now, I do have a very interesting announcement. So pretty much since I started this show, or at least probably, what, five, six months ago, I came up with this idea that this would be a great way to help people promote their music. So if, if anybody... It was having trouble getting exposure or they were having trouble just getting anybody to listen to their music because of the way it is nowadays. Everything's MP3. There's not even CDs. I mean, what chance you had of getting a record deal in the past, it's really shrunk down quite a bit. And, of course, you can put your music on social media and stuff like that, but it can still be a real challenge getting it out there. So I've been putting out these feelers for a while, and I've actually finally started to get some responses. There's a, a gentleman that contacted me on Twitter with the with a method. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> with a message, a DM, uh, explaining to me he he has some interesting music that he'd like to get played, and unfortunately his message got buried. And I tried to look for it today because I wanted to play it, and I could not find it. So. Uh, fella, I forgot your name. If you're still listening to this show, if you still listen, please resend me that DM, that direct message, because I'd really like to go ahead and uh, check out your music and play it. I apologize for losing your message, but unfortunately these things can happen sometimes when you get super busy with things. But anyways, I did get contacted again by 
an individual. This is a, a female who actually fronts a band. She's a lead singer, and her band is called Kittenhead. This is a band. Well, why don't I just go ahead and read this? So Kittenhead was started in May 2012, and it's based in California. After a summer of songwriting, Kittenhead played its first live shows in September 2012 in the Pacific Northwest with a headlining slot at the Comet in Seattle. Awesome. They played in Seattle. That's where I live, so that's kind of cool. Since then, the band has played all of the major cities on the West Coast with fans requesting to return to flowing from every show. Requesting to return to flowing from every show. And they've they've actually had some success so far. So one of their songs, let's see, what is it called? Derby Girl. It's actually being used for some skate-out music for roller derby leagues around the world. And uh, that's kind of interesting because I just had Robert, I'm sorry, Richard Bruce on the show, and we were talking a little bit about roller derby, so a little bit of synchronicity there. And they've got a few songs that are kind of taken off. One's called Tin Man, uh, Derby Girl, that's the one, the roller derby associated one. And I've gone through their music. Uh, this this woman, Kiwi, she sent me a link and said, hey, check out this music. I listened to it. I, I was like, okay, this is good. I want to play this on my show. So I'm going to go ahead and play this for you. Uh, I'll go ahead and just play some songs, and then I'll tell you what they were after the break. So this is Kittenhead. Actually, the first song is, I really like this one. This is called Dreamland. So this is Dreamland from Kittenhead.
right, all right. That song was Dreamland. The band is Kiddenhead. We're going to play another song of theirs right now. This one's called Tin Man.
everybody. You got one more song to play for you. Sorry, I'm scarfing down a sandwich. This one is called Derby. Derby Girl. This is the song that's getting played in Roller Derby. Let's go ahead and listen to this. Once again, the band is Kittenhead. Welcome back to End of Days Radio. What you heard just now was Kittenhead. Very cool band coming out of California. The lead singer contacted me and requested I play some of their jams. And I like it. I I really like this band. It kind of has a little bit of a retro feel to it, just a little bit. But reminds me of some of those 70s, 60s, 70s stoner rock bands, just a little bit. They definitely got their own sound. 
But I'm excited because here we have some unique music to play, and it's actually good. And if you would like me to play your music on End of Days Radio, contact me at DanielEndOfDaysRadio at gmail.com. And I'll give it a listen, and if it's good, I'll play it. I mean, I can't guarantee them I'll play everything. i got to listen to it. So if I turn you down, don't hate me, please. It just might not be a good fit for this show. But please send me your stuff. Like, let me listen, and I will, I will give it a fair chance, and I might play it. So please do that. That's Daniel End of Days Radio at Gmail dot com. And also shout out to Al, uh, his band Circle A Enterprises. He was actually the first artist that we featured on this program. I forgot to mention that. So shout out to him as well. And back to the show. Yes, yes. We have very many things to talk about. And we've already been on air for over three hours. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, well, let's just keep it moving. Uh, let's start off with a news article. This is the wrap-up portion of the show. As you know, this is a segment of the show where you can call in and we talk about news stories, we chit-chat. I read your fan mail, or your letters, your listener letters. Fan mail. What's wrong with saying fan mail? I mean, give me a break. You can't say people are fans. That's ridiculous. Life is getting too PC. Or the world is getting too PC. It's fan mail. Fuck it. (coughs) Okay, so this website with this article, this is from davidike.com. I have no idea why I decided to go to davidike.com for news articles. I think I was looking for some paranormal news stories, and I found this. This isn't paranormal, but it says, the Pentagon is sending nearly 4,000 more troops to Afghanistan. Excuse me, I just say it. The Pentagon is sending nearly 4,000 more troops to Afghanistan. I thought we were done with Afghanistan. Like, how long are we going to be there? How long does it take to take out the Taliban? Why do we have to keep sending more troops there? Why is there always fighting going on there? What exactly is going on there? Is it the is it the drugs? Is it the poppy fields, the heroin? Is there some other reason why why we are there? Are there stargates there or something like that? What's going on? Four thousand additional troops. How many are already there? I know Trump said he wanted to beef up the military, but when are we going to get done with this freaking Afghanistan thing? It's been going on for years and years. Didn't we originally go in there after 9-11 and we're still trying to accomplish something? It's starting to feel like Vietnam. Why are we even there? Just let them sort things out. It's their people. It's their culture. It's their religion. It's their society. Let them sort it out. It's their right to police themselves. Why do we have to get involved? Why do we have to have any interest in any of that? And, And when they say that it's all about freedom and democracy, come on, I don't buy that, then why aren't we going in and going after North Korea, right? If it's all about freedom and democracy, why don't we Why don't we go to North Korea? It doesn't make any sense. I say let's pull out of Taliban, I'm sorry, let's pull out of Afghanistan and just forget about the whole thing. Let them sort it out. They're no danger to us. They don't have any nuclear weapons or anything like that. Just let them sort it out. Let's the Taliban or whatever rule, and if they get tired of the Taliban, those people can have a revolution and they can take care of things. We should leave them alone and let them 
let them govern themselves because the last thing these people want is a bunch of uh, Christians from the West coming in and telling them what to do. I guarantee that at least. So leave them alone. Pull out of Afghanistan, bring all the troops back, leave the vehicles over there if it costs too damn much to fly them back, and just forget about it. There's nothing to accomplish there, unless there's something going on that I don't know about, which is most likely the case. Don't people understand that the fighting creates more fighting? Is that really what we want to be doing? There's this funny picture on the article. It says, Taliban back in power in Afghanistan. And it says at the bottom, that went well then. And it shows some guys holding machine guns. Yeah, it did not go well. It went about as, it went about as good as when Russia tried to invade Afghanistan. Dumb. I don't get it. How much does that cost? How much money is going to all that? How many homeless people are walking around Seattle right now? Disgusting. Education. Can't we give some kids some scholarships? Some, some young, poor children that live in the ghetto and don't have money for shoes? Can't we give them scholarships? Can't we, can't we build stuff instead of always destroying each other and breaking things down? Getting up on my soapbox here. Somebody please think of the children. Please stop killing the children. Seriously, stop killing kids. Who really suffers in these wars? Is it the, the hardened, grown man that has already lived most of his life and experienced things and has already decided his path? Or is it the innocent children that suffer in the fallout and the crossfire? Exactly. Okay. Let's move on. Like the little X. Okay, that story's gone. Mm, I have a lot to talk about. I'm going to have to say some of this stuff. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to. Mm. Okay, so... Uh, I wanted to talk about our British fans. British fans of the show. At some point, I started to realize that there is a strangely high amount of fans of the show in Britain, in England. There seems to be tons of them there, and I do not know why. I have no idea why, but maybe people in that area are more open to ideas like this. Maybe it's, maybe it is a cultural thing. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, I know David Icke is from England. He's a Brit. In fact, I think he used to be a soccer player or something like that. But I thought that was weird that so many people in England seem to enjoy the show and seem to listen to it on a regular basis. But I, I absolutely love it. I, I think that's really cool. I'm questioning why there aren't more Americans listening, but hey, if I'm going to get over in England, then shit, maybe I might have to move over there. I might have to start having tea at noon every day, and I might have to start watching Doctor Who. Oh, I already do that. Looks like I'm, Looks like I might be a good fit. Maybe I should move over there. I bet British chicks really like American guys. I bet all you have to have is an accent. They're just like, oh, oh my God, an American. Oh, look at his big barrel chest. But, well, I suppose they wouldn't sound like that. They would have an English accent. But there's no way I can do a female voice with an English accent on top of it. No. Maybe, maybe. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. But in any case, shout out to you jolly Brits out there. Shout out to you guys listening to the show. Tell your friends. Maybe, maybe we can start a whole movement over there. 
maybe we'll even open up an end of days radio store where you can get t- t-shirts and hats and stuff like that. You never know. Enterprise me, baby. Enterprise. I'm just kidding. Never going to do anything like that. But but I think it's cool. I like it. I like the fact that there's a bunch of fans of end, day, end of days radio over in Britain. It's, it's freaking awesome. Cheerio. Okay, what's next? Let's read a fan letter. <coughs> okay. Hi, Daniel. This is your buddy, Ted. I love your show. Please keep doing shows on magic. By the way, are you single? Sometimes you seem lonely. Would you like to go on a blind date with my sister-in-law? Um, Ted, I really appreciate that you like the show. I appreciate that you listen, and, and I really appreciate that you're enjoying this month dedicated to magic of the occult. This is Magic Month on End of Days Radio, and I appreciate you. However, I am not the type to blind date. I tried it before, and it just never seems to work. Not knowing what the person looks like is kind of a big thing. And I know that might seem kind of mean and shallow, but if you have an idea in your head of what you like and you go and meet somebody and they are just, like, way off, and and not to say that they're ugly or unattractive or anything like that, you just might not feel attracted to their body type or their their face or their hair color or their eye shape. Uh, Wait, that sounds racist. Forget the eye shape thing. But you know what I mean. I, I don't think that that's a good idea because let's say that your, who is it, your sister-in-law, let's say she's an awesome person, let's say that she's so sweet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then I go on a blind date with her and I don't feel anything there. I'm just not as interested as I should be. Well, I could force myself to enter into a relationship with somebody that I don't know and I'm not really that attracted to, but most likely I would have to uh, I would have to turn your sister-in-law down and hurt her feelings and I'm not willing to do that. For me, I would rather just not even go there in the first place. I don't I don't want to hurt somebody like that. I don't want to make anybody feel rejected or anything like that. If I see somebody I like and I want to put myself out there and approach them and and then I would be the one getting rejected if that happened. And that's fine with me. I I can handle rejection, but I do not like rejecting others, or or females especially. I feel like I can handle it better. Maybe not in all cases, but generally, if you are out and about, if you're going out, or wherever you are, if you're at the grocery store, you you should be able to tell, if you're an adult, you should be able to tell if a woman is interested in you, if she's attracted to you, if she has that interest there. You can tell from you know, the things she says, the way she's acting, the body language, stuff like that, you really shouldn't ever need to put yourself in a situation where there's this big rejection, like like you have to put yourself out there and, and roll the dice. That's that's just not how it actually is. That's how a lot of people probably think that it is, but it really isn't. It's if, you, if you see you have a connection with somebody or you see somebody who really likes you, they're not going to reject you. You can already see and and you know it's not like you have to ask a question where there's a yes or no answer anyway. You just throw out little hints like you say, 
hey, you want to go to that festival next week with me and my friends? And if the answer is no, well, you didn't exactly ask her out on a date. You just were asking if she wanted to hang out. You're you're taking her temperature. So you, you never have to, like, a lot of these young guys, they think they have to, like, go and put themselves out there and, and, put, and give somebody an opportunity to reject them. And they're going to have to face the self-esteem crushing blow. But actually, if you do things the right way and you don't act like a damn fool putting all kinds of pressure on yourself and, and trying to meet other people's expectations and you just relax, then you'll probably do a lot better. Just relax and, and be yourself and, and don't worry about me, Ted. I, I, my story is very unique and I wouldn't expect anybody to understand Am I lonely? I, I'm human. I guess I get a little bit lonely every so often, but I would rather worry about this myself. That way, if I meet the right person, I will, I'll know, and then I can take action rather than having fans of the show hook me up and stuff like that. I, I just, it, it would just be bad. Trust me. No offense to you or your sister-in-law or anything like that. I just know that that's not a good idea for me. So you can just tell your sister-in-law and all her cats, no. I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm so sorry I said that. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. I'm sure she has no cats. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, really, I I thank you for caring about me enough to send that letter to me. Because like, that's awesome. I mean, now i got people sending me emails, like, trying to hook me up. I mean, it couldn't be easier, right? <laughs> but I'm okay. I'm I'm past that stage where I'm running around trying to hook up or anything like that. Just If you believe in fate and synchronicity and all that stuff, you, you don't have to bounce off the walls trying to hook up with somebody or go from relationship to relationship. It's just not necessary. In my, in my opinion, everybody's different. Sometimes it's good to be alone because you can work on yourself and you're not always consumed by your relationship. There's a, there's a certain time in everybody's life where things like that work for them and other times where it doesn't. And that's fine. Don't try to hook me up, people. Please, no. Thank you. I love you guys. I love you. But don't do that. Not necessary. Okay. Um, so, let's see. Where do I want to go here? I got so much stuff to cover. It's just ridiculous. Uh, I had a very, I had a very strange incident the other day. I, I did tell some of you guys out there about this privately, but it was really weird. As many of you probably heard, I did have some kind of weird haunting experience a couple weeks ago where a chip bag was moving around and I was hearing some big footsteps and things were creaking around in a weird way. My cat was getting agitated. I don't know if any of you remember that, but I'm not going to retell that story, but it happened again. So, Oh, somebody's calling. What timing? I guess you guys are going to have to wait for this one. <coughs> Hello. Hello. Hey there, buddy. What's going on, Daniel? Not much. Just shooting the shit. You said to call in and round table. Here I am. 
Here he is. Rock him like a hurricane. <laughs> Here he is. Here I am. Rock, Rock me like, like a hurricane. hurricane. One of the most cheesy, goddamn cheesy uh, heavy metal songs of all time. That's why heavy metal died, songs like that. Uh, Who who sang that? Was that Twisted Sister? Scorpions. Scorpions. Oh, oh, the sc- oh, okay. Sorry about the Scorpions. Yep. Yeah, I got that. Do you see what time it is? Yep, I do. I'm trying to sleep, and I'm tired. Oh. So it's not scream. Got it. I'm sorry. Well, you made me sing, Daniel. I'm sorry about that. I got you in trouble, Todd. Yeah, you did. We it's should we should probably talk in really quiet voices like this. There you go. Let's pretend we're in a library. I I enjoyed your call earlier, Todd. I thought it was very insightful. Well, your guest is very educated and uh, young socialist again, or socialist. And Bernie Sanders over there. Um, I, I loved his mind and you know his explanation. He's very very that one of the best shows, Daniel. Oh, absolutely. You know what's funny about that is I I had to really search to find this guy. This isn't, like, a big name that's everywhere and everybody's interviewing him. He was on, like, one other show, and he's been involved in some other stuff, but I, I had to kind of dig to find him, and I'm glad I did because I feel like I found gold. Oh, yeah, he's very well researched. Um, 35 years old, has all these connections. He's putting his his findings on YouTube. You know, I, I assume, you know, he's got videos. That's what I got from it. Uh, the Gematria, 9-11. Goddamn. I don't really want to go down 9-11 because, as I told you, it was traumatic. And, and like I said forever ago, nine, 19 guys with 99-cent box cutters brings the most powerful country on earth to its knees. Something stinks. Yeah, I'm... I'm positive that it was an inside job, that it's a conspiracy. I, any doubt that I had about that, I mean, that's gone away years and years ago. Yeah. It's, it, to yeah. me, it's more yeah. a matter of finding out how, how the buildings were destroyed rather than why or, or who. I, I know it was an inside job. I mean, I don't know exactly what the reasons were, but you can you can certainly come up with all sorts of theories that are very strong, like the oh. Patriot Act and the, the Middle East and all that. Yeah, yeah. We all suck Dick Cheney now. Um, you remember Dick Cheney? Oh, we all we all suck Cheney's dick now. I said we all suck Dick Cheney. Um, yeah, Dick Cheney got his uh, view of the of the you know his view of the world. He manifested that with Bush. Now we all live in what they manifested, Daniel microphones and cameras everywhere and their secret societies in the background, old corrupt guys that are gathering at the lodges. You, you want to know what it really looks like behind the scenes, Daniel? Because I've seen this. You want to know, you know, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about I've seen this in real life. I'm saying I've seen that what be, exists beyond the veil and it's a bunch of people standing around in a theater, like your guest was saying. And they've already staged all this, and they're all waiting, they're all watching behind the scenes. Um, we're all, we all wear a mask, 
like your last, all your guests, you know, a couple guests back was saying, and it's like a kabuki dance. Yeah, there does seem to be something like that going on. I really find it very troubling. Well, one person that I brought up when I was talking to him was Katy Perry, and I'm not sure if you've seen yeah. any any of this stuff, but oh my God, this this woman! I used to think that she was just the most beautiful thing in the world, and now I think she is just creepy, yeah. creepy as hell, and, and a little bit gross because I I seen all this this strange symbolism that she's trying to show off. This latest this latest album that she came out with, I, I forget what it's even called. It's pure just symbolism. It's so obvious in this case. And then she was doing this live feed from her bedroom, right? And people, a bunch of creepy fans of hers were watching her 24-7, like watching her sleep. And then she wakes up and she's in this room with all this crazy Illuminati symbolism. Wow. What's that song? What's the video? <laughs> oh, let me, let me Google this really quick. Let's see. Katy Perry, latest album. Luckily, I have a computer here. Okay, it's called Witness, and she's got both of her eyes covered, and she has a freaking eyeball in her mouth. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, eyes, eyeballs, they're all Illuminati symbol, symbolism. Um, we, we're surrounded, Daniel. We've talked about this. Uh, our culture, there's all these secret groups that exist behind the scenes, Daniel, you know? And like your guest said, that none of those guys would think they're doing anything wrong, right, Daniel? Yeah. They're just members of secret lodges that exist, and there's about 600 in your neighborhood. And, um, and they're just all happy, fraternal people. Yeah, the thing is with that, Todd, I mean, this is my opinion on it. I usually, when I have a guest on, I obviously let them speak rather than cut in with my own own self-centered opinions all the time, but... Uh, my opinion yeah. on this is is that, yeah, of course, people, they believe that they're doing the right thing. But the thing is that sometimes you can be thinking that you're doing the right thing, but actually you're doing a horrible thing if you're not taking all the consequences into account if you're coming from a very biased perspective. And if you yourself have on undergone a lot of brainwashing, a lot of times you're going to think the wrong thing is the right thing. Well, uh, uh, peer pressure, Daniel, works. Get a group of guys together and then 16 of them and then look down upon another guy's view. Like have 15 guys look down on one guy's view. Peer pressure, like when we went to high school. Uh, yeah, ex exactly. Peer pressure... It's a big one because, like, let's say you are in high school and you there's only five other cool dudes in your school or however it's set up. Let's say you go to a small school. If you are if you don't get in with these five guys, you're going to be a dork. You're going to be a nerd. You're not going to fit in with anybody because these five popular dudes, they control all the social stuff. So if you don't get on their good side, you're going to be screwed. Yeah, you'll be an outcast. Like Rush song. Um, Rush did a song about <laughs> outcast <laughs> back in the 80s. But uh, anyways, that band, Kittenhead. Uh -huh. Right on.
<laughs> yeah, I I really like their sound. Pretty cool, pretty cool. I like like the first two. Um, out of Los Angeles, they should talk to you know. No, no, maybe Al and them shouldn't talk. Al knows a lot about the LA music scene, but that was back in the eighties when it was heavy metal. Any way that I can network and help people out, I definitely want to do it. I, I really feel like music is important. I myself am a musician. I might be a crappy one, but I certainly love to make music. And I I really feel like music and art is a form of magic. And that goes right along with what this show is about because music can actually change your consciousness. You know one of the things that's so cool about your show, Daniel? Everything. That and one thing in particular is you let people get on a soapbox and you give them the floor for a minute to, to tell their their thing, you know. That's that's pretty cool of you. And um hmm. Yeah, I, I really want to get the information out there. A lot of shows they want to, you know, they want to have fun or they want to have a different type of show. I'm all about the information. I just want to create some amazing, excuse me, amazing interviews where you sit there and your mind is blown because I used yeah. to listen to like old coast to coast with the Art Bell and I'd smoke a joint yeah. or smoke a bowl out of a pipe or smoke out of a bong. Oh yeah. And I and oh my god, yeah, that's one of my favorite things to do is to sit there and smoke a bowl and listen to old Art Bell listen to some of those mind-blowing in- interviews and just feel your consciousness yeah. actually changing as you listen. I mean, Banding. yeah, I want to create magic like that. That's what I want to do. Well, um, really, everything that exists, is in, it starts in the mind. You control whether you're happy or sad, and I know that sounds a little nuts, but you decide if you're happy or sad. What you see is what you're focusing on. I totally agree. Uh, Everybody's got... Go ahead. Oh, magicians, as I told you a long time ago, one of the first techniques they, they teach you is to develop your focus. And they tell you to stare at a point on a wall. It could be anything. It could be a candle flame in the darkness. But see how long you can hold that point on the wall before you can't stop. You know, you can't do it anymore. Stay perfectly still. You know? Yeah, I know another one, too, where you actually meditate and you picture a symbol in your mind and you try as hard as you can to visualize and maintain that symbol, and it's really hard. I mean, I've tried it a lot of times, and yeah. I, I can barely do it. Yeah. it. It just shows how hard it is to actually visualize something and maintain it. No wonder why we can't get anything done. We we all have ADD. We can't really focus in like we probably should be able to. What starts to happen is you realize that your mind is full of thoughts already that are passing all day long like clouds. They're already all there, all these thoughts all day long in the back of your mind. And then you realize that you have to uh, focus 
your attention on a single point because there's so much other consciousness going on in the background. The reason magicians teach focus on a single point is because they develop a, a tool, a, a sword or a dagger that they'll use to punch through into the next dimension <laughs> their focus through the point of that dagger. <laughs> and it opens up the hole that allows whatever you were going to do, wanted to do to have come back through. Did you just sneeze, Todd? No, I was explaining what it sounds like when you punch through the membrane. Oh, okay. Another dimension. Okay, I wasn't sure if you're making. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you're yeah. making those sounds on purpose or not. I was like, whoa, okay, that was trippy. Oh, yeah, I made that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's my a... allergies are driving me nuts, though, Daniel, because they're spraying our skies over here so much. I'm not kidding you. I mean, I got chemtrails raining down on me, sticky clouds of goo. Me and my wife are saying it's like the um, the uh, movie, um, the, the one uh, one where they uh, aliens turn you into a pod. Well, I think there's some movie? yeah, I think there's something the to that. Invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, good good movie. I I think there really is something to that because when you think about it, it is very hard to focus. And if you look at what we're bombarded with all the time, it's flashy advertisements, this thing, that thing, the next thing, got to make money, 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 can't pay my bills. We're always, we're always being pushed into this delirious panic sort of state yeah. where our focus has to go this thing, this thing. Okay, now you're in grade six. Now you're in grade seven. Let's change the topics. Let's change this. Let's change that. You're always being bombarded with constantly changing things and a lot of, a lot of kids nowadays have that ADD. It makes you wonder, is it society? Is it is it some kind of mind control that's screwing up our focus and creating all this cognitive dissonance? Daniel, what it is is they, they have all these councils that have existed since the 50s of old corrupt men that have sat around and decided that they, they knew society was going to wake up as the technologies come in. And they couldn't let man get off his knees. They had to maintain their corrupt system that pays them all off, right? But yeah, absolutely. Drive around in their yachts. But they wrote about this in the 50s, and you know, all these councils of men. I got this book report from Iron Mountain. Our tax dollars, Daniel, again, going to build shit that is going to, you know, stewing us in. Isn't it funny that we pay for this thing that's wrecking us? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, that's something that happens quite a bit. Politicians and leaders, they move money around. They fund things that are just frivolous and ridiculous. A lot of times they somehow get that money to go into their own pockets or they're just extremely stupid and they're collecting, collecting they, their tax dollars and not Or they them. build underground tunnels and bunkers and cities that cost who knows how many trillions of dollars and put giant space labs up above us, Daniel. Well, yeah. Um, what, what it is, Todd, fucking... what it is, Todd, is yeah. th those underground caverns and all that, what you're seeing yeah. is an, it's an interconnecting hive of tunnels that they go around the world, the ones that are 
in this country. They go all the way to Tibet and to other locations. And this actually connects right. the surface world with the the reptilian underworld where the uh, reptilian aliens actually, they either live there or they just have their bases down there and they stay down there for long periods of time. And our our military and our government, or at least our black budget programs, they're down there and they're tied up with that that same race, that reptilian race that is behind a lot of a lot of conspiracies and things like that. Uh, behind a lot of the, in, in my opinion, they're linked to the elite and their magical rituals. If you talk to some of those people that come from those circles, those elite families, they'll say, "Yeah, I've, I've seen reptilians and mantis aliens and shadow beings and all kinds of things like that." <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I hear you. You know, my question is: is uh, where's Elizabeth April? <laughs> oh yeah, what happened to her? Did she get taken? <laughs> well, she's sitting on a mountaintop watching UFOs flying in and out of the atmosphere. She can sit on my lap. Oh, oh, oh my God! I can't believe I said. That. I'm sorry. No, I'm no, sorry. no, Daniel, don't. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's never uh, coming back on here. Beautiful girl, and blew my mind. How she's talking about the aliens. She can see them. I'll give her something she's to blow. On the mountain. I'm sorry. I did it again. Um, I think the reason I brought her up is because it was last year about the same time that she was, that you did that interview with her. Yeah, that was pretty crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, she talked about seeing the aliens and the mantis and getting to know them. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I know it sounds completely crazy, but the thing is that I, I believe this to be true. I believe that there are children that are coming of age right now that are, they have some kind of hybridized DNA where it's coming from. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with this whole age of Horus or age of enlightenment or something like that. I don't know. But they, they there's yeah. more and more of these kids popping up that have this, uh, this high amount of alien DNA and they're, they're geniuses at an early age. They understand all kinds of crazy physics and mathematics and things like that. They're way too smart than, than they should be. And they also have certain paranormal abilities, remote viewing, uh, telepathy, even telekinesis. It's it's really weird, and I don't expect anybody listening to believe this, but it's true. It's damn true. Well, I'm going to state it again. There are pearl divers. They've trained themselves to dive underwater for 20 minutes. You, you, Daniel, go try to hold your breath underwater for more than a minute. I can't even hold my breath for 20 seconds. I've got asthma. And and I'm fat. The the way they're able to do it is they slow their heart rate down. And they get into a slower state where they start to see that the mind is more than you realize. And I've talked about this before. I, I, I realized when I was young, uh, there was a game called the pass out game. Oh. <laughs> where you pa- pass each other out. You ever tried that? I remember stupid games like that, not that particular one. I don't recommend this for the kids, but we did it. And, um, on one of those pictures, and I've already told you this story, as I passed out, when I woke back up, I went, how long was I out for? And they said three seconds. But the vision that I had in that time frame that I was under was like two, three weeks. 
of time, space, as a kid, at the time that I was coming across Crowley and considering concepts of magic, I, I was finding it early, where most people would never even find it, Daniel. Wait, what was that last statement? You found what? Uh, magic and mysticism. The book he, that he mentioned by Colin Wilson, I read that at 12 or 13. It's incredible. You know what I'm starting guess. to realize? You know what I'm starting to realize, Todd? Like, yeah. My, my guest earlier, David, he mentioned that he knows the guy that started that website, Sacred Text. And, and that's where a lot of stuff on the Internet actually comes from, that website. If that guy did not exist and wasn't doing what he was doing, a lot of secrets would still be completely hidden. And it makes you wonder yeah. how much stuff is still completely hidden. Maybe most of it isn't even on the Internet yet. Well, Daniel, one of the most profound things that he was trying to explain, you know, with the golden bow was the sacrifice of the king. You know, there's this system, it's corrupt. They bring forth a knight to slay the evil king so the people can all feel like they've been justified, you know? Yeah. After the corruption gets to a certain level, mm -hmm. they put on an act, a sacrifice to relieve the sins of the corrupt system and then the pressure releases and then they go back to it again until it builds up again. But it's repeated itself over time through history, this this system. They put different religious uh, names on it and it changes faces over the last couple thousand years, but it's the same thing. Yeah, I, over absolutely, I absolutely agree. It's it's something that goes back to the ancient times with the Hebrews and the Babylonians and all them and, 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 go, and keeps going back, back to history that's so far back we have no record of it because anything that would exist that would be a record of it was either destroyed in a flood or something like that or just decayed. And we would have to dig very deep. And if we found something and we carbon dated it, nobody would even believe it because it would just be too old and it would be in too weird of a place. And that's what goes on. Yeah, it's insane. But I got to mention Alex Jones because you was asking him about Alex Jones and, and Bohemian Grove. I, I kind of, you don't want to say nothing bad about the asshole because he's provided some, you know, he's the voice of the resistance that's got people to understand that there's an Illuminati that runs the world. But I'm suspicious, too, um, of all of them. I'm suspicious, Daniel. Yeah, of it's course. PSYOP coming out of Texas. Yeah, I don't... introduce you to the conspiracy. It's real, yep. Yeah, for a long and time... Your leader. Exactly. For a long time, I would give Alex Jones you know, a lot of credit. Like, I wouldn't know certain things if it wasn't for him or... You know, he's this or he's that. But the thing is that while that may be true to an extent, did Alex Jones get me interested in the paranormal? Did he cause me to see UFOs? Nope. Did, I mean, he didn't do anything. He didn't do shit for me other nope. than maybe help prove some of the more ground floor materialistic conspiracy stuff. Other than that, he hasn't done a damn thing for me. In fact, he denies 
a lot of things. He denies aliens. He denies a lot of the far out stuff. He keeps people in his box. He brings people out of the normal box. Then he puts them in his retarded Y2K missiles from Russia, blah, 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 box. And I don't like that because he's denying a lot of other information that is very true. And he's also luring people into his little his little club, yeah. and one of these days he's going to... agendas, agendas. Exactly. He's got a list of names, or somebody does, and one of, one of these days he's going to turn over that list, and he's going to say, you know what, you guys, oh, yeah. you're all stupid. I got yeah. your names. I'm handing it right over to you. my handlers, and you're all going in the yeah. FEMA camps that I warned you all about. And they're coming to get you, yep. Yeah, coming to get us. Turn you right over. Exactly. Yep. Oh, no. But, but, but it's... Okay, I'm with you. Uh, but listen, now that you mentioned all that, I realize he's kind of like an encyclopedia of stuff that you and I and other people could know, and he's able to spout it out real good and then get angry about it. Do you remember that movie Network from the 1970s? No, you told me to watch. You told me to watch that. I still haven't nuts. done it yet. Yeah, it's so good, dude. One of the best directors of all time made that show, Network. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch it. It's just a news guy breaks down, and he starts telling everybody, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this shit anymore. Yeah, you hear that, that, you hear that like, quote played on a lot of uh, paranormal conspiracy shows. Yeah, and it sounds just like Alex Jones. And, and then Faye Dunaway, do you remember her? She's an actress. I know that name. I you know I I can't always play that. She was anymore. beautiful in the seventies. She's probably a corpse now. I'm not sure. No, sorry, Yikes. Faye. <laughs> She's a anyway, living corpse. They have that class. She's a zombie. Moved on. Scene. But what's funny is the news guy breaks down. And he tells everybody out there to get up and get mad and yell out the window, you know. And then everybody does it, and they get the highest ratings and all this shit. But then the best part of the show is where his boss calls him back in at the end and tells him that you have meddled with the primordial forces of the universe and you will atone. His boss tells him this. And then his boss breaks down that it doesn't matter what you think, how mad you are. The world is is a, a conglomeration of corporations and money and it flows well above and beyond you. It's like tidal waves of, you know, tight waves <laughs> it's beyond you. So he goes, you get back up on your soapbox and rant all you want. Uh, <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that there's something to be said because I have been doing this show for a while and many others out there are doing similar projects and it's not making some huge sweeping difference. Most people are still completely unaware. They still worry about paying their bills, catching that next football game, getting laid. They don't care about the really important stuff. They don't care about their immortal souls. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about consciousness. They're just stuck in that that cycle of self-hatred, and they try to cover it up with their fancy, neat lawns and their new Mercedes Uh or their new BMW, but there's nothing but hate inside of them and and hate for themselves and for others. And it's really sad because when you, when you have, when you have it, whatever it is, you don't need any of that stuff. You don't need a BMW. You don't need any of that stuff. 
What it is, Daniel, is that we need to work wherever we can to change the corrupt fucking system. And you do that by understanding that there's corrupt points, parts that you can't deny, and you have to say it. Todd, you know, Todd, you know what we need? We what? we need we need a lot of fertilizer. <laughs> you don't, Daniel. I, I shouldn't I like talk like that. Of, uh, I shouldn't talk like that. <laughs> I like the idea of us going and trying to find the entrances to Area 51 because there's a lot of them around here. Yeah, we'll get, our, get ourselves shot. And Bigfoots, too, Daniel. Uh, you got Bigfoots up there, and we got Bigfoots down here. We, got, we, Bigfoot, got, the, huh? we got the man-eating <laughs> rapist Bigfoots up here. Well, that sounds good. Some old spooky... And then we can find the underground tunnel entrances. I've seen these. I've seen, you know, I'm Daniel, I've lived in Salt Lake a long time. I accidentally went down under, you know, Neath and seen some of the ones that sit below the city. The whole city's connected by fully finished hallways that run and connect every building that the public can't access. Yeah, it, there... it, was, in the, it was in the newspaper. They've got direct tunnels. You you know how um, in that movie uh, the 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 um, the one with the uh, virus that breaks out mm. and the company's developing it. The most famous uh, zombie virus. Well, they they have a time. they have a hotel in Washington D.C. and it's on top of one of these old underground bases and the place is just huge it's just miles and miles and it has generators and all of that in fact i believe there are a few places like that that you can actually buy if you have enough money there's people that have abandoned underground bases that they're selling because whatever was going on down there it's no longer going on and now it's just a property with a huge underground base there you can actually i, I forgot how i came across these things but i, I just saw them like a week yeah, ago they're selling these um, in military industrialized bunkers to people that can afford them, the ones that are remnants. Yeah, exactly. And, and even beyond that, where they're just actual underground bases, where there's a property and there's just a huge base under there made out of concrete, and it just it's huge, and it's not even that expensive. It's crazy. I want one. Well, I don't mean to sidetrack here, but there's been disturbing news, you know, confirmed as if we don't already know that this is going on, that during the Olympics, Daniel, remember the Winter Olympics when they came to Salt Lake City? Uh, I don't really pay attention, but I, I think so. That was pretty stupid. It was the first time that, that, that Utah, a really boring place, had the whole world come here to Salt Lake City in the winter. Because we do get some really horrible weather here and that's great for skiers and people in the Olympics. <laughs> no good for them if you live here. But anyways, they were spying on us the whole time because George Bush came to town for the Olympics and it was illegal. And they've admitted it. It was what? They were spying on us officially, the whole city recording everything, taking it in, analyzing it, because George Bush was coming to town 
this is like 2001 or something, Daniel. That's a lot of hoopla for somebody that's not very smart. No, they put up a net where they were capturing everything everyone was saying. Oh, okay, yeah, like uh, Project Echelon, but uh, newer stuff like NSA, mm-hmm. NSA yep. stuff where they, if, yeah, whatever they do, whatever they were doing with Project Echelon nowadays, it works a million times better. Totally illegal, because you know how these guys are. Totally illegal. Um, Salt Lake, 90, 99. Utah's a weird place, Daniel, all these uh, underground tunnels and uh, secret bases and testing grounds. Lots of people uh, tested on here. That's because it's all Mormons there, and, and they're all tied in with the black ops and the secret societies and all Masons. that. Yeah, they're all tied together. Yep. The Mormons, the Masons, the all of them, they're all tied yep. together. They they have people that are members of their organizations and also members of the other ones, just like the Bavarian Illuminati that we talked about earlier. Do you know the number one group in the world that the CIA recruits? It's the Mormons. Oh, I didn't know that. Because that's that's interesting. Yeah, because their missionary program is worldwide and they're in every country. Yeah, the Mormons get so devoted to their work that they learn languages just to go over there and teach the natives. <laughs> Joseph Smith said. Hey, Todd, <laughs> you, you want to do a news story? Yeah, I want to do a news story. All right. So, okay, this one's coming from FoxNews.com. And I don't really have to go too much into this because most people that pay attention to the news are going to know what I'm talking about. This is the story about this kid, Otto Warmbier. I hope I'm saying that right. But he went over to, I talked about this kid on this program a few times before, but he's gone over to, he went over to North Korea and he stole a poster off a wall because he was trying to impress one of these fancy skull and bones sorority fraternities, whatever they are. It was, it was called like the 21st Boys or something like that. Century 21 Boys. It's one of those. I apologize for not remembering the name of that particular secret society or fraternity, but he was trying to get into it. And if you get into that society, that skull and bones type of fraternity, you're a shoo-in for all these high falutin corporate positions and and things in the government and stuff like that. So he went over there to try to impress this this, uh, fraternity so that they would take him in. And then he ended up getting arrested by the freaking North Koreans he goes into prison, and it hasn't even been that long, and his brains have already been bashed in, and they sent him home, and his, his brains are just jelly now because the North Koreans beat his head to jello. Well, how did he go from trying to break into an American secret society's fraternity to being in North Korea? Well, the thing is that he was trying to gain entrance into the fraternity and and to do that you have to go through some sort of initiation and this was something brave slash stupid that he was doing to prove his allegiance and his dedication so they so that they would allow him inside of the fraternity well one of the most interesting parts of your story is that they would ask him to try to go to north korea and do something I, i don't even know if they asked him i mean that very well might be the case but he went over there and he pulled a poster 
off the wall, and he got caught on the camera system. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just gave him a basic challenge. He was student traveling. And the reason I can't even find the name of this fraternity is because the mainstream media, they're completely covering up that whole aspect of this whole story and this whole thing. I mean, you would think that this would be bringing a major amount of attention onto these secret societies and these fraternities and this completely unfair system where these fucking rich, white cocksuckers get everything and they don't even have to do a damn thing. They're born with a freaking silver spoon up their ass and they don't even have to work hard like the rest of us and they get awarded everything. Yeah, it made me sick. Like George W. Um, Bush. It's okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Disgusting. And then he sit and smile at you. And you can look at his face, that smirk. And that fucking smirk is that silver spoon, right? I had everything my whole life. You can see it on his face. Yeah, that's Ugh. true. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's completely ridiculous, and nobody seems to really care. I mean, you have all these people that are protesting this or that. Why don't we deal with the main issue? Why don't we deal with the fact that our society is completely unfair and college and education opportunity should be equal and free for everybody, like in Europe, I'm gonna ex- some places. I'm going to explain this, you know, my opinion. Your last guess is right. I, I have a hard time with Alex Jones, too. Like he said, as much as you want to believe that he's the resistance, man, these guys are old. They've been doing this 150 years. They don't let a big, giant radio show go out unless it's probably controlled by them. And Bill Cooper never liked Alex Jones. He's like, this guy's a phony. And then they killed Bill Cooper. And so that always tripped me. You can get on YouTube and see Bill Cooper going, Alex Jones, <laughs> he's phony. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is exactly the type of stuff that I'm talking about. I, I know what you're talking about. You can look at that stuff on YouTube. And Bill Cooper absolutely despised Alex Jones. And he called out quite yeah. a few other people, too. A lot of these so-called yeah. UFO researchers that are so respected in the UFO community, everybody wants to kiss their butts. I uh, want to kiss, kiss mm-hmm. up to Stan and Friedman or Little Molden Howell. Yeah, there's all kinds of ass history going on, and it very well might be yep. the case that these people are actually disinfo agents that are out there disseminating information. They're getting it all from black ops or the government or, or, or some secret society or something like that. Yeah, we're trying to find the truth, and they're spraying fog machines. We're searching for real details and facts trying to get to the bottom and here's these people spraying a fog machine. Yep. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's no no disrespect to any individuals. I, I'm not calling anybody out except maybe Alex Jones, but I do think that there's something to be said about a lot of this alien UFO stuff. It, it, they're either hiding the real aliens, or they're hiding something else that's even far more sinister and weird that we probably can't even understand or comprehend. Yeah, and it might be a combination of all that, because if we can't get out of the atmosphere, if the Earth is flat, 
um, if the moon's not real. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me because of all these, you know, you can't believe a word these guys say. At the turn of the century, Daniel, people didn't know what the moon was. They thought it was cheese. The, the last, yeah. <laughs> we were looking at this thing going, it could be anything. Because <laughs> they couldn't get there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now, and now we're supposed to believe that we know all the secrets of the universe. Bill Cooper said that he found a book that was published in, in like 1957. And it had pictures of all the planets in our solar system. And their entire makeup. And there were only three copies of this book that existed in the United States. And he was showing pictures from the book that was published in 1957 of the planets before we ever went to the moon. That's, so he was. That's kind of strange. Trying to. It was, he had an eight-hour presentation where he showed you pictures of shit on the moon that he found. <laughs> it looked like wreck yards from 19, uh, World War II with B-52 bombers littered on the surface of the moon. And you're like, why would they put the, the, the old planes from World War II on the moon? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's going on there? <laughs> it's too strange. And he's going, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's the problem. A lot of this stuff, it's too strange. And once you start going down the rabbit hole, you start to get to a point where there's that part of you that is it is, that is getting scared, that's kind of losing control. And, and you realize you are, by even viewing certain material, you're, you're causing a lot of, a lot of internal combustion and, and things going on internally because your whole world view is being shaken up yeah. and completely turned around. I mean, that type of stuff, it can really rock you. It can jar you. I, I went through a period where I felt like I was going insane yep. because I was starting to you know, get into some of this conspiracy stuff and it led into the, the occult stuff and all of that. It was just, it was too much yeah. knowledge and information at once and I just could not handle it. I was acting kind of crazy. Yeah. I probably still am. <laughs> well, well, actually, Daniel, in in our evolution, mankind, we have points in our life that are like initiation ceremonies that you have to go through. Even if you're not, if you don't understand how this works, we all have these thresholds we have to pass and cross. Everyone has their problems, right? Of course, yeah. It's a, it's like initiations. Tribal systems used to use a certain age. Is that you're going to go through the initiation now, and they still do that. <laughs> then take the young ones. Yeah, uh, or, or secret societies. God. Secret societies do something similar, but in a secret society like the Freemasons, there's like 50 billion different rites and, and levels and and things that you have to memorize and all all sorts of stuff like that. It's it's ridiculous. I can't imagine even getting into that because you've spent half your time studying and trying to memorize things. I, I just don't have time for that. Well, that's how they get them, the members that would be willing to do that because you'd have to be an idiot. 
it's not giving you any higher level of purpose. Right, Daniel. Yeah, exactly. But Todd, we've been we've been talking for quite a while now. I'm gonna I'm gonna oh, go yeah. ahead and uh, move things along. But thanks for giving me a call tonight. Thanks for calling in with a guest, and I'll I'll talk to you later. Yeah, you have a good evening, my man. All right, goodbye, buddy. All right, that was Todd the Bod. He likes to call in. And we like to talk to him. Oh, so much going on in the world. So many odd things going on on this spinning planet, this round Earth. Is it a planet? Is it spinning? Is it round? Perhaps we will never know. It always comes back to flat Earth, right? We always end up talking about flat Earth. I didn't ask the guests tonight about flat Earth. I just didn't feel like going into it. I think that a lot of people just don't really want to talk about it because it sounds too absurd, but it does seem to always come back, no matter how hard you try to get rid of it, the idea that maybe the Earth isn't round. Maybe we have no idea our situation. Maybe what we think it is, maybe it's just the inventions of sci-fi writers 50 to 100 years ago that have somehow become our reality. Who knows? I hope that's not the case. I actually hope that the Earth is round and there's other planets out there because that means we have a whole universe to explore. And I suppose even if it's flat, there might be more flat Earth to explore. <laughs> like it might just go on. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if that was reality where we live on a flat plane and it just goes on forever and the sky goes on? That would seem pretty impossible, right? But let's say you just keep going and eventually you get to some kind of ice wall and you climb over it and you find yourself in some completely different land, like you find yourself in the land of Conan the Barbarian or something like that. Who knows? It could it could be possible. Oh, Lordy. But that North Korea thing, that really pisses me off because I know that kid is an idiot, and he should not have been doing that, and he probably, you know, he's only suffering the consequences of his own actions, but that's an American citizen. And for that little fat fuck, that little douchebag with a weird haircut, a little psychopath, power-tripping little psychopath, for him to just be so arrogant and think that he can do things like that to our citizens, it pisses me off. Why can't we do something about him? Seriously. Why can't we have a sniper shoot him? Why can't we throw a bomb at him? Why can't we shoot an ICBM at him? Why can't we do a lot of things? Why can't we just poison him or or somehow replace him with a decoy or a clone or or something. Well, can't we invade the whole country with rats or scorpions or or make some gorillas in a lab that are even stronger than normal gorillas and super aggressive and just unleash them on North Korea and, and just, like, go in a little bit later and, and go in and kill the gorillas and then just clean up afterwards or something? Why can't we do something about this little fat bastard this arrogant little prick who thinks he can constantly saber-rattle and constantly do things like take one of our citizens and bash their brains in and, and give them jello brains and send them home as a vegetable. Yeah, I don't think that that happened in a prison or anything like that. I don't think it was the inmates that did that to this kid. I think that the government did it to him. I think that it was ordered and it was meant to send a message to the West because that little retarded fat fuck... He actually thinks that anybody gives a damn about him. He thinks that people actually take him seriously. 
he, he's like a little Eric Cartman. Why can't we do something about him? Just get rid of him. Kill him. If there's any, if there's ever somebody that deserves to die, come on. At least Hitler loved animals, right? I doubt this guy loves animals. Maybe he does. What do I know? Kim Jong-un is a penis. That is what he is. He looks like a penis, and he is one. And North Korea is never going to be a less shitty place until we do something about it. So why don't we stop sending troops to Afghanistan and just lob one nuke at North Korea at his palace, and we'll kill a few innocent people, but, hey, we bomb innocent people every day anyway, so what is there to complain about? Well, I don't. I never understood stuff like that. What is... There going to be some huge international meltdown if we decide if we decide to take that guy out. I mean, I can't imagine China or Russia are that happy with him. Why don't we get together with them and have a meeting and say, "Hey, let's get rid of this little fat fuck." Uh, what's the deal there? What does he have on us where we can't just go in and get him like we do to some of these other leaders? Ugh. It's so annoying. Anyways. Uh, one thing that I'm really trying to do lately is I'm trying to eat right. As many of you know, I have a horrible addiction to pepperoni sticks, Mountain Dew, spicy chips, things like that. Things that are full of sodium, full of artificial flavoring, full of saturated fats. Things that will kill you. Caffeine. I drink too much caffeine. I should not be drinking so much caffeine. I feel like I'm constantly giving myself a bath in chemicals because I'm doing the sleeping pills, the caffeine, the pot, the Mountain Dew, the spicy chips, the this, the that, the ice cream, the fast food. I feel like my heart hurts and I'm <laughs> and I'm dying. So I've had enough. I'm not going to eat shitty food anymore. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to eat my turkey sandwiches. I'm going to eat my boiled eggs. I'm going to eat my salads, my barbecue ranch salads. As some of you have seen some of these healthy meals that I put on Twitter. I know you're impressed. I, I hope you're not bored with this talk of nutrition, but, hey, it's important. We are constantly being bombarded by chemicals in our food, and it's not good for you. It's literally killing you. It's giving you cancer. It's clogging up your heart. It's making you stupider. It's making you dumber. It's turning you into a woman. Your milk and your fluoride and your water and the chemtrails and all that, it's turning you into a woman. That's what's happening to you out there. You are you are going to turn into a woman unless you stop eating so shitty because there's all kinds of stuff in those foods that fuck with your hormones. I'm serious. I know it sounds Why do you think these uh, little seven-year-old girls are getting their periods at seven years of age now. It's because of all the weird shit in the foods. It's true. It's Monsanto. It's all kinds of other corporations. You can't eat that shit. You can't eat fast food. You can't eat junk food. I mean, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what's going to kill you. You can either feel sluggish, feel brain dead, and be fat as fuck, and if you're not fat as fuck, I guarantee your heart is clogged to all hell. You can either have that or you can feel good you can be in shape. You can have washboard abs and, and a clear mind, a clear, a clear intelligent mind, and lots of energy. Or you can be farting and shitting all the time because you eat too much bad food. And, and you just fart all day long. And you fart so much that 
your your asshole is just falling apart. That's what happens to you when you eat fast food all the time. You eat spicy chips, pepperoni sticks, and Mountain Dew, and Coca-Cola, and coffee, and sleeping pills, and all of that stuff. So eat right, please. I'm begging you. Count your calories. Eat nutritious foods. If you eat nutritious foods, you will not be hungry. Don't overeat. Don't eat crap. Don't go to McDonald's. And if you do, get their Southwest salad because that thing is the bomb. And it's only like 400 calories and it's huge. So that's okay. But I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, you know, focusing on health a lot more. I'm going to be focusing on my health because it really undermines everything. If I'm making all this effort to try to change the world and make the world a better place, if I can't even control my own internal world, if I can't even get that in order, if I can't even stay on the wagon and not eat that damn Carl's Jr., which sucks now because they made their burgers smaller and they got rid of the turkey burgers or the Jack in the Box or the Taco Bell or the General Zoe's Chicken. Should I be doing this? Is there any danger in me telling the world everything that I eat, <laughs> every little meal choice that I make? Are they going to poison me like Kim Jong-un? That Daniel, he's making waves. He's going to start a revolution. I heard he's got a bunch of fertilizer. Better watch out for him. Put him on the list. Who knows, right? I don't think I'm a threat to anybody. I'm just regurgitating a lot of information that's already out there, for one thing. And also, I don't think that I'm exactly making huge waves. I hope that I'm waking some people up out there. I hope so. I hope I'm opening some minds. I hope I'm spreading my madness and my craziness all over the place. Not that I think it's madness or craziness. It's enlightenment. It's awakening. And you, and you can be like me. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could be like me? Anyways, let's move on. Long pause. I don't do the show stoned. What? He just say that? Yeah, I just said it. There's a reason for that. It's because I have to do a lot of things at once. I have to make sure I hit the record button. I have to control the phone lines. I have to monitor my mixing board. I have to make sure that I have all the right programs open to broadcast. I have to make sure that I'm not talking with my microphone turned all the way down. Stuff like that. I have to plan ahead what I'm going to do next. I can't be sitting here with my mind wandering off thinking about flat earth when I need to focus, focus on this interview. So even though I've been on air for over four hours and I've been awake all day long, I have not gotten high. Even though I do pot, I'm a pot addict, I have not because that's how seriously I take this. And I will get stoned after the show. You can guarantee on that. You can bank on that. But I'm not going to do it on the show. I don't want to be high. I want to be 100% because I take this seriously. And I can have a good time without being baked off my ass. I mean, sometimes it might make things a little bit more fun, I, I admit that, but it's not worth it. I gotta make sure I'm focused here. I got to, got to do this. I'm not gonna be one of those 
podcast host that sits there with a bong, takes three hits, doesn't even know what the fuck's going on, doesn't even know if I'm on air. I'm not going to do that. I was a little baked yesterday. It was harder. I didn't like it. I was more relaxed. I was in a good mood, but I hated it. I just, I just couldn't function like I normally would. It's the same thing with work. I don't get high before work. I don't get high at work. Maybe if it's a job I really hate and I just don't give a fuck and I can't stand it, maybe. But I don't do that. I don't. I, it, there's a separation between work and play. And if you're going to use pot, you better use it right. You better know how to keep that shit under control and wait until it's time to go home or wait until it's the weekend. If you are getting high at work, I'm sorry, you're stupid. You don't take your life seriously. It's not that I don't think you can function, but are you going to really be 100% like if you weren't stoned? Are you going to have the right memory? Are you going to have a fully functioning short-term memory? Are you going to be nailing a board and then forget to put the hammer back on your truck? I've done that. I forgot to put the damn hammer back on the truck. I forgot to put more expensive things than hammers on trucks. I'm talking like tools that cost thousands of dollars. Yeah, it hasn't happened a lot of times, but I don't recommend it. There's a, you got to separate work and play. And don't drink too much either. Just keep that under control as well. And don't do crack. Don't even touch that stuff. Okay. Um, oh my god, I just remembered. I forgot to finish the story that I was telling earlier. I got totally sidetracked. So, as you know, I've, I had a incident with hearing a large footsteps and a chip bag moving around and the floorboards and the counter creaking. The, what it felt like was a large invisible creature was moving around my house. Just for a second. My cat even was agitated by it and looked at that spot like what the heck's going on but anyways so the other day i'm sitting on the couch i'm tired i think i was watching wwe or something like that watching some wrestling and it it was over the tv was still on and i was in a melancholy sort of state i was very relaxed very peaceful i was just sitting there my head was kind of down my legs were crossed i think i was wearing shorts so my legs were exposed I had these like little slipper things from Walmart on. I'm sitting there and I feel something touch my leg. It felt like a finger poked my freaking leg. It didn't feel like a bug or a gnat or a mosquito. There weren't any bugs around. And it didn't feel like a bug anyway. A bug feels like a little tickle. This felt like somebody actually touched my foot with their finger. Like they're poking at me like, hey, hey, I'm here. That's what it felt like. I think that a ghost touched me. I'm almost positive. I mean, all this month I've been doing shows about magic, occult, spirits, afterlife, blah, 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 blah. It's no surprise that a spirit happened to see me sitting there and figured, hey, I'm going to touch Daniel's foot and let him know that we're here, we're here, and we're watching, or we exist, or something like that. I, I think that's what happened. I mean... A, a, a me from the past probably would have become very panicked because I've had, like, a long time ago, there's been weird, haunting, demonic sort of stuff going on, but 
I didn't feel like this was anything to freak out about. I mean, I'm kind of used to this stuff by now, and I would hate to jump to conclusions because I'm experiencing a phenomena. A mistake that all of us make at one time or another is we label things, we classify them, we we cast judgments upon things that are are uh, objective, completely objective than the ideas that we are pushing onto them. And all of us do it. It's just who we are. I mean, if you come from a Christian background, you probably believe in Jesus and angels. And if you're from a voodoo background, you're into making zombies and stuff like that. So a person's culture is going to affect the way that they react to something. And it probably isn't a good idea to be messing around with the occult if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what to expect. But I'm not really messing with the occult. I don't think that I am. I'm just putting on some podcasts. But I didn't panic. I did not panic because I, I'm. why should I fear? Unless something is trying to hurt me, unless something's trying to actually hurt me or do something to me, if it just touched me and said, hey, I'm here, why should I assume that it's some kind of demon or reptilian or astral monster or something like that? Why should I assume that it's something negative if it just touched me and wasn't harassing me, wasn't trying to mess with my head, wasn't trying to scare me or anything like that? I think that we should... You know how they say don't judge a book by its cover? Don't judge a ghost by its uh, essence. I don't know. Don't don't judge a ghost. Judge a ghost by its actions. There you go. Always judge a ghost or an entity by its actions. Don't just think that because something's invisible and it's touching you or it's talking to you that it's necessarily bad. And at the same time, don't assume that it's good either. we got to exercise discernment, be aware, and not let ourselves be uh, wrapped up into some kind of weird haunting situation where we're giving ghosts or or whatever these things are, demonic beings energy. we got to watch out for that sort of stuff too. Watch out for letting them influence our minds and stuff like that. 